Why? I can't pretend. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I am Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening for the last time <laughs> to Killer Vibes. <laughs> A true crime podcast. <laughs> that's about to be killed. Yep, we're about to kill it. Uh, that was we so... did kill it. We did. We killed it. We killed it. <laughs> we killed the game. There's so many meanings. <laughs> so many. That's why it's a good name. <laughs> okay, so this is our last ever episode, our finale, so to say, to make yes. it a little bit more positive. Finale. Yes. And I picked a case. I'm so excited. <laughs> that I was just telling Claire, I was like, how do I start this episode? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start it and go for yeah, it. Right. Okay. This is a case that I have been wanting to do forever, but I have said no to doing for several reasons. <laughs> okay. Do you know what it is? Yes. What is it? Is it the Manson? Yes! <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay. Specifically, okay, 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 we're okay. only the Tate LaBianca murders. Okay. So we're only doing August 8th and 9th okay. of 1969. <laughs> okay. 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 And I almost gave it away <laughs> in the last episode when you said, just write Hunter Skelter on, on the it. wall. Oh I God. was like, my eyes grew like 10 sizes. I totally didn't notice. And then even I was like, notice. close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I just make yeah. weird like beady eyes at people like, when I'm trying to like, like stop yeah. talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Oh my god, I'm so excited. If you don't know what you probably do if you listen to this podcast, the Manson family is my favorite murder group cult. All of it. All of it. It's the reason yes. I got into true crime. Helter Skelter was the first true crime book I read. Mm-hmm. I it's I cannot get enough of the Manson family. And I don't want this <laughs> to be confused with I idolize them or mm-hmm. I admire them because I no. don't. It's just this story so interesting. Is so <laughs> the interesting never stops. Like <laughs> no. I learn something new every time I look them look yes. into them. And I've read so oh. many books and there's just so consumed much consumed all the movies, everything. Yes. Oh my gosh. But there's I, a new movie coming out. I know. I, <laughs> that is why I thought it would be appropriate to just do the Tate LaBianca murders because mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Quentin Tarantino movie coming out on July 26th, stars Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, Yep, who, spoiler alert, is murdered by the Manson family. (laughs) Woohoo! And there's a guy casted as Manson in the movie, so I don't know Mm -hmm. how much it's going to involve the Manson family. Well, also, um, Dakota Fanning is going to be Squeaky From. Really? The Manson girl who <gasps> attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford. Oh, my God. She's so funny. Um, <laughs> I so, love Dakota Fanning. She played Coraline in my favorite movie. Really? That's Coraline. your favorite movie? Yes, I know. Don't judge me. That's your favorite movie? Yes, I've seen it so of many times. all movies. I know. I know. Of every movie. Let's just not talk about it and we'll move okay. on. I'm going no, to but move I totally, on because I'm confused. Yeah. I'll, we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I like Dakota Fanning. <laughs> Me too. And I think she'll be good as Squeaky From because yeah. she's crazy. Because Squeaky From. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like she could pull off a crazy girl kind of thing. Oh, totally. 100%. But I'm just so excited for that movie. And also Quentin Tarantino will sometimes take historical events and do like an alternate ending kind yes, of thing. so good. Like with like he did Inglourious that, Bastards. yeah. So maybe he'll change the story a little bit. I don't know. It's yeah. not about the Manson family. It's about this guy and his stunt double, 
and mm-hmm. the actor lives next yeah. door to Sharon Tate. So I'm wondering if the the Tate murder is going to take place in the movie and he hears it or something, something and like steps crazy. in and saves yeah, the day. Right? Or we should think of weird. theories or something. Okay. Everyone tell us what your theories are for yes. the Manson family's involvement mm-hmm. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, I'm excited to see it. Me too. But so I thought that for everyone who's going to go see that movie, which who's not, <laughs> that you might want to know some background on Sharon Tate and that whole thing. So yes. one of the reasons I've never done the Manson family, this whole podcast, is because it is so complex and there's so much I could talk about that there's even when we were doing longer four or five part episodes, mm-hmm. there's no way I could fit in all my thoughts about the Manson family. Oh, yeah. It and would be like. 20 parts. It'd be so long and like placing them in their historical context and all of its implications and mm-hmm. I just can't do it all. So no. disclaimer, I'm going to leave like 90% of everything out and I'm just going to tell you about a little teeny, teeny, teeny background on the Manson family and then what happened on the nights of August 8th and 9th <laughs> of 1969. I'm <laughs> so excited oh my gosh okay and i haven't read helter skelter yet you I'm, haven't no oh i thought you had no i've never read it and okay I, i've like read part of it okay so i like and then um i don't even know oh and then i read the stranger beside me that's why i got like distracted oh, you from got helter switched. skelter okay so i haven't finished it so i'm very Yes, so definitely read Helter Skelter if you want a more detailed account of everything. It includes police reports and photos, and it's really a really broad overview. Mm -hmm. And there's also, I would recommend um, to kind of understand a little bit of his mind. I would read (laughs) Manson in his own words, Mm -hmm. but then I would at the same time or like right before, right after, listen to the podcast called you must remember this because that goes into it's the series she does on Manson is called Manson's Hollywood. And she dives a lot into how his mind really was. So you could read Manson in his own words and get mm-hmm. like his opinion on his, like on what's his going stuff. on. Yeah. And then her account, which is probably more realistic. And then there's also the girls, which is a good book. That one's kind of newer by Emma Klein. And it's mm-hmm. about the Manson girls or one of them in particular who this, author knew but okay anyways I'll make book recommendations at the end I'm so excited (laughs) I'm so excited I just don't want anyone to be like oh my god you left this and this and this and this and this out and you got this and this wrong or you didn't mention that because I know I just know there's one billion things that I can't say so many in an hour-long episode absolutely not I mean like you just mentioned a whole bunch of books that just take a whole bunch of different angles so it's a lot, and I'm so excited to learn the ten percent okay. that you're gonna well, talk I about today. Well, I figured we might as well. Yes, go out doing the thing that got me into it in the yes. first place. So, oh my gosh. Okay, so Charles Manson. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> so, without going too detailed into who he was, he sort of fashioned himself as this like hippie, outlaw, counterculture, like against the system kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And this was more of, more or less a front. And we can talk about this towards the end of, of what your opinions are when I give you a little bit of more information as to whether this was his genuine self or if this was his like master plan to like <laughs> manipulate people. And this yeah. was a really welcoming kind of character he was putting on which is a little bit of my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, right. But his outward persona was very like everything is love Mm -hmm. and flower child and 
as counterculture and as progressive as you possibly could be Mm -hmm. in the late 1960s. And he eventually started to prey on very vulnerable people, which a cult leader does. <laughs> and yep. the um, there were some men in the Manson family, most notably Tex Watson, who we'll talk about later. But he had a lot of girls in the Manson family called the Manson Girls. And they were often people like this is why I'm like oh my god I would have been in this cult (laughs) is there were people who were like really really progressive for the time Mm -hmm. and you know just disagreed with everybody and were like a little rebellious and just wanted Mm -hmm. to be around people who were like-minded and in a time where like so much turmoil was going on and there was quite a bit of a counterculture going on but the Manson family was even more progressive than that they were their views were just like they would be progressive today. Right. And they, they would be hippie commune people today. Yeah. And totally this is like late there. 1960s when yeah. this is happening. <laughs> so it just sounded like so much fun. <laughs> and he created this thing called the Manson family, the cult. And they lived at a place called Spawn Ranch, which was actually a secluded place in Los Angeles which was formerly used as a movie set for old Western movies and old Western shows. Oh so gosh. The Lone Ranger and Bonanza were both filmed at Spawn Ranch. And cool. it was just like deserted. And so he took the family out there and they lived there and they played the guitar and they like Dance just in circles. Yes, they did Kumbaya. drugs. They like Great stuff. cooked. Yeah, it was just, it sounded so fun. It's a family dynamic. And they yeah. would just get together and talk about their ideas and talk about the world and. It just sounds cool. Yeah. It sounds really inviting to me. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a space that is open for all types of people. So it is kind of like a weird, like, culty thing, but also very inviting at the same time. Which is, you know, It wasn't really open to all types of people. They were pretty judgy about people that were judgy. So, like, if you thought they were being weird or you were, like turned off by anything that they were doing you probably wouldn't be in the family Mm -hmm. you had to be completely open to everything and love everyone they were open sexually and they had open minds and well kind of (laughs) we'll get to that but so this is what the Manson family is and again he would I use the word prey because he would find people who were seeking that so maybe people who came from families that were a little bit more strict or families that had a certain idea of how they wanted their children to grow up and what they wanted their children to do. And those children who would be like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, (laughs) no. (laughs) And they would find solace in the Manson family. Mm -hmm. He would also take in like drug addicts and people on the street who shared these ideas. So these are the people that make up the Manson family. There were like about 30 of them in 1969. And, some more prominent than others, but Manson himself was a very angry person. He was angry at Hollywood. He was angry at the entertainment industry in general. He was angry at people who had money because he never had those things. So he never knew who his dad was really. His mom wasn't really present in his life. And he became this like sort of naturally kind of what would happen to you in that scenario, like a very artsy kind of express my feelings through poetry and writing and um, total angsty teen. Total angsty teen turned adult. Style, yeah. Yeah. And it was really cool at first. Mm -hmm. And then it turned really sour. (laughs) But he 
was a really passionate about music and he wrote music and he wanted to be a musician. And at the time you have a really large place in the music industry for counterculture. So you have like the folk music with Bob Dylan and Mm -hmm. you have people that were doing what he wanted to do. Yeah, like Janis Joplin style. Yeah, which like he probably wasn't that rock and roll. He was a little bit more folksy, I would think, like mm-hmm. a little more acoustic, just gotcha. singing about the world right and his ideas. And mm-hmm. he really just wanted to do that. And he thought that he had these, and this is probably a touch of mental illness, <laughs> is he thought he had these insane ideas about the world that nobody else ever had. And he thought that he was like kind of a chosen one kind of situation. Oh. And he was angry because he couldn't attain the career he wanted and he saw everyone around him in Hollywood connected to each other, connected to money, making it big for seemingly with seemingly like no effort. They were just, he just saw how everyone was connected. I mean, he lived in Los Angeles and I'm sure if you go to Los Angeles today and you try to become a musician without knowing anybody, you would probably experience the same feelings of like, Oh, well that person is only getting that gig because they know that person or they're related to that person or they can pay to do this. And right. he was just like, nepotism. He, he was just angry about <laughs> it. And I think that these are like common feelings that people have, but he really felt like the world was against him. Like all the world versus like Charles all the world Manson. Versus Charles Manson. He was like, I can, I never get what I want. Nothing ever goes my way. He's just like a total grump about it. He's a giant toddler. He's a giant toddler. (laughs) Yes. There's actually an interview with him where they're like, he's like, I'm a child. I never grew up. And he like, okay, Peter Pan, chill the fuck out. (laughs) He's like, he starts out kind of like cool where you're like, oh, wow, that's so poetic and like cool. And then he gets delusional. (laughs) It quickly goes to like psychotic. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean- you said this in our Jonestown episode of like when you get followers mm-hmm. and there's people sort of like feeding into your delusional state, it almost becomes exaggerated. It feeds it. Yeah. And, and it starts to grow and then you're all the way over in whatever field you're in. For sure. You can yeah. even you can see that a lot with Charles Manson because I would say like he even got maybe crazier when incarcerated. He was doing the oh, weirdest yeah. things when people would go oh, interview him. Yeah, and the swastika and every just he almost just got weirder as time went on very and he had like more fans Mm -hmm. so that's a little bit about like who he was so they're all living at spawn ranch and they all everyone who joined the manson family knew that he was the leader and you did everything he said and a lot of people were okay with that because they came they were leaving such structure and they were kind of going to a place where they felt more free and they could live on the ranch. They just called it mm-hmm. the ranch and they could, you know, do whatever they wanted during the day. But like and they only had to answer to this one person. But right. And even though they had to answer to him, they believed that everything he said was like gospel to them. Like it mm-hmm. was like everything he said was right. Yeah, he was like a prophet. And, and it was in their best interest. And even mm-hmm. if it was something that they maybe they didn't want to do, they felt like he wouldn't tell me to do something that wouldn't benefit me. So I'll do that even though I don't want to do it really. Yeah, right. And another thing that contributed to the loyalty of the Manson family, which is where we get into a little bit of my opinion that we can talk about more at the end of Manson is kind of just like an evil genius orchestrating all of this. Yeah. Is he, they obviously took a lot of psychedelic drugs at the ranch 
But Manson wouldn't always take the psychedelic drugs. He would pretend to take them, and then he would, like, mess with people's trips. So he would, like, feed ideas into their heads while they were tripping. Okay. And But they thought he was tripping, too. So oh. there's no way that they would think that he was actually saying these things to them. So he was manipulating mm-hmm. their psychedelic, psychedelic experiences. Mm-hmm. So when they would be sober again, they might think, like, oh, my oh my gosh, like this being came to me in my trip Mm -hmm. and told me this and I feel chosen too. Or like this is the universe telling me something and sending me a message. So they didn't know that like Charles Manson was manipulating with their trips. Yeah, yeah. Which is dangerous. I mean, that stuff is scary and you're not in a full mental state where you can understand what's going on. No, yeah. So it's a total manipulation of vulnerable people. Exactly. And you probably come out of that being like, well, if that happened in my trip and everyone else was tripping, like, that was just a special message for yeah. me. Like, and like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm the only one. The universe is trying to tell me this. Yes, like, I'm an individual. Yeah, yeah, so he would just, like, say things to them. Make them feel and special. It, embed these ideas in their brains, and it, they would stick because of kind of who the people are mixed with the psychedelic drugs and... And the teachings and everything. Yeah, yeah. and then we have, like, the, you know, just the classic cult brainwashing was happening. It, mm-hmm. They... The Manson family wasn't, like, violent to each other. They were very, like, loving and open and everyone loved each other and everyone was having sex with each other kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I think that the classic, like, well, if I leave, where will I go kind of thing? Or if I don't answer to him and if I don't belong with the group, like, what do I, like, am I wrong? Because everyone else is doing it. And Mm -hmm. a little bit of group mentality setting in where, like, maybe not everyone wanted to do what they were doing, but, like, everyone around them was doing it. Right. And there's a lot of psychology behind how cults can, like, indoctrinate you and -hmm. and brainwash you, essentially, where you can, like, seem like a very independent person and a strong-minded person. Yet at the same time, you will totally do whatever this person says, even if you know it's wrong. So Right. And they use like weird manipulative language in cults, too. They have like they're always saying that you're doing wrong, like human beings are wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's always this like negative impact on people. And it's like you have to improve. You have to do this because what you're doing is currently horrible or whatever. And so it's like people want to improve and they don't want to be. You know, like the whole reason they're there is to improve. And so being told constantly that you're not worth anything and the only people you're answerable to are these people who are trying to help you, then of course they're going to feel trapped, basically. Mm, Yeah. Even if you don't know that that's what you're feeling. Right. Like it might be a very subconscious feeling Mm -hmm. of like... I'm I'm out here. Like, where am I going to go? Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. My I I don't my I'm not accepted by my family and none of my friends back home share the same ideas as me. I'm an outcast. And like, even though these guys aren't doing everything I agree with, like, at least they accept me, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I can see why people fell into this. And over time, that just gets stronger and your loyalties grow. And also think about they're just like living at Spawn Ranch and doing literally nothing. Like, yeah. they're not, it's not Jonestown where they're a church and they're volunteering and they're helping people. Like, they're just chilling at Spawn Ranch, doing drugs, yeah. playing guitars, making campfires, chilling. Having sex. Like, having yeah. sex. Like, they're not really doing anything. So, imagine that. Like, imagine doing nothing. That is so much time to think about yourself and to think about your group and to bond with people and for relationships mm-hmm. to grow really strong with each other. And oh, yeah. For 
you to talk about your ideas. And when you sit down and talk about your ideas all day, they just get stronger and stronger. I mean. Oh, yeah. Like if you have a support system, they're going to back up everything that you say. Right. So although the Manson family didn't have any ideas that were necessarily hurtful or violent at first, all their ideas were, I mean, just... They, the only reason they transitioned into anything violent was because of Charles Manson. And we will talk about how he made his transition into total delusion right now. <laughs> so Delusion. Okay. I'm so pumped. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if this is a real thing that Charles Manson thought occurred or if this is something he created and crafted like a the evil genius he probably was probably to control his family because I could totally see him doing that. And this would actually be a really good idea if you wanted to obtain control. And if he felt like control was slipping away at all, he might do something drastic. So whether this is for that or whether he really thinks this happened, (laughs) the Beatles release an album, the called the white album. (laughs) And this album features the song Helter Skelter and if you know that song, it's really, I don't even know what it's about. It's like, that whole when album I get is to just... the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Like, I don't even know what it's talking about. That album is very interesting. It's an interesting album, but like Helter Skelter doesn't have a really prominent meaning. Like you would have to kind Mm-mm. of, it'd be one of those songs where you're like, mm, what could that mean? And like, like you kind of dive deep. Yeah. And so Charlie <laughs> thinks that Man. the Beatles are sending him code through the release of the White Album and specifically through the song Helter Skelter. And he believes that they are directly speaking to him because he is the chosen one. Mm. And he believes the song Helter Skelter, I don't know where he gets this, is about about an imminent race war in America and that the Beatles are selecting him to initiate the race war because it's imminent. It's going to happen, apparently. It will happen. It Mm -hmm. will happen. Mm -hmm. And the whites will, specifically between the whites and blacks, and that the whites will obviously win this race war. They are the only worthy people. And that he, as the strong white individual that he is, and like I don't even know where this racism comes from because it wasn't ever a part of the Manson family before. I I don't know where it's coming from. They weren't they weren't being white Racism. supremacy before. They just this is a new thing to me. It's ironic that that's called the White Album. Too. I know, I know. Just bad overall. It's so it's it's bad. And the Beatles were probably like, "Don't bring us into like, this." Excuse me, I just want to hold your hand. I'm just all you need is love. <laughs> Stop it. Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Oh my god, the best um, song on that album though is Obla Di Obla Da. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Like, what do you even think Helter Skelter's about? I don't even know, man. I'm you may, a, I'm, what is it? You may be a lover, but I you ain't no dancer. Yeah, I have to look up the lyrics. It's been a minute since I've listened to that it's song. It's like, when I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Then I something, and then I go for a ride till I get to the bottom, and I see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. singing on this podcast. <laughs> Not a Dude, singer. don't you want me to love you? I'm coming down, down fast, but I'm miles above you. Tell me, tell me, come on, tell me the answer. Well, you may, may be, be a lover, lover but you, you ain't no dancer. dancer. Yeah. I don't know how this is supposed to be a race war. 
<laughs> like, uh, I don't know. It's like, you may be a lover, but you ain't no dancer. I mean, this is just like, it's just cute. It's like, it's like going. I almost feel it's like, like it's kind of about like the chaos of, of the time and yeah, it's just like, like you know, being radical and like helter skelter. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It has no clear meaning, I do not think. I think you could read into it and yeah, make no. a meaning if you wanted to. Yeah. But, but there's like, not like an obvious meaning. No. I just, I mean like that. And it's definitely not a race war. No. It's talking about a girl. No. <laughs> I mean, she's, they're like saying she's like good in bed, but she's a terrible dancer. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from this. And I don't know who, I don't know what halter skelter is supposed to mean, but like. I think it's just like. Let's be crazy, helter skelter. Do we know if that comes from anything else other than this song? I could have looked that up, but I didn't. Okay. But you know what? It reminds me of that scene from Across the Universe where Lucy's getting arrested at the rally, and there's like protesting going. Haven't seen that movie yet. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) I forgot you haven't seen that yet. Okay. Well, there's like a protest going on. And Jude is trying to get Lucy to, like, come with him. Mm-hmm. And he ends up getting, like, shuffled into the crowd. And there's, like, violence because everyone mm. is so passionate and about they're, like, anti-war. And they, like, made this bomb. And, like, it's just, like, chaotic. And, like, they love each other and they're passionate. So I almost feel like, in that sense, the song so makes the sense to me of just, of like, love. chaos. Yeah. And yeah. passion. Mm-hmm. Helter Skelter. Not yeah. race war. <laughs> Not race war. I the don't poor get race war Anywhere like, in that. We're just trying to spread love and you're really bringing our vibe down. Oh, Motley Crue did Helter Skelter too. Cool. But it's the same song. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's what he takes from this song. And that Weird. is what he tells his followers. And he says that basically he and as an extension of him, the family are going to be the catalysts for this race war. They're going to start it. And that they are basic the Beatles are like telling them to start it through the album. Oh my God. <laughs> Obviously. Okay. Apparently Helter Skelter is a fairground ride. See it's a, chaos. It's a slide. Oh yeah. When I get to the Put bottom, I go back to the, the top slide. of the slide where yeah. I stop and I turn and I go for a ride. Till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Maybe it's about like the ups and downs of love. Yeah, that would that and, would make sense. And your, you know, the the way in which love is a slide that you go that up you go and you turn around and go and back down, go back down again, it's, again, and you keep doing it even though it's gonna be the same. You're like, I love this stuff so much. Yes, I'm just gonna keep doing Aww, it. That's sweet. see, we just we interpreted just that song. We deciphered it. We did. We did. Those idiots. It's not about a race war. war. How come 30 of y'all couldn't figure that out? This song is about a slide. (laughs) Charlie, you're a songwriter yourself, and you couldn't read into it? What is happening? Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) So the way in which (laughs) explaining this to someone who doesn't know is like so, I feel like I'm delivering bad news, kind of. Please deliver all the bad news. (laughs) Okay. Because it's so bizarre. Okay. Okay. So the way in which they're going to be the catalyst for this race war Mm -hmm. is they're going to murder Mm -hmm. affluent people Mm. and blame the murders on black people. And then the black people will get mad and Mm. a race war will naturally ensue. Mm. Don't try to make sense of it because it won't make sense. 
it makes sense to him and his yeah. either his brain that is psychotic. And again, we're going to discuss. I would like to get your opinions at the end on what you think of this. Okay. Because there's kind of like two camps. Like there's the people who think like he's completely psychotic. He's completely. Well, there, there's three then, I guess. There's the people who support him who think that he and these are the people who write him letters, the people who've married him in jail. He's dead now, but he died like two years ago. But mm-hmm. so there's people who support him who think that. He was basically not like framed because like they admit to the murders, but almost like he had good reason and he was it was almost like a protesty like kind of thing. And that there's like a purpose behind it. There's a, yeah, that there was a purpose. And really, they they make I can see how why how they made it make sense to them. Mm-hmm. It's not logical, but I can it's not like they did it for literally no reason. Like they made right. it make sense in their own heads, but they justified it for some reason. Yeah. And there's people who are like his followers who I think are just really sucked into the radical, progressive, everything is love, mm-hmm. even anger is love, and all those kinds of ideas. No, and that but they. Okay. And <laughs> Sorry. Claire would literally walk into a Manson family meeting and walk out in like two yeah, seconds. Yeah, I'd be like, okay. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Everything's love. That like, sounds lovely. <laughs> I'd be like, what? And then I'd be in a cult. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, what? But you know what? I would draw I'd the line. You. I would draw the line at taking psychedelic drugs because I would be too afraid because I'm a loser. Yeah, no, I don't. I I'm not even a I I'm not even afraid to say that I'm afraid to take psychedelic no, drugs. No, I'm afraid. I I don't trust my. Yeah, no. And I saw the movie Shrooms, and I can't unsee it. That's fair. And that is an excellent premise for a movie. <laughs> and I am so afraid that that would happen. Yes, and I also just feel like I would react badly. To psychedelic like it drugs. sounds really fun and enlightening and like an experience I would love to have if I knew for sure that it would be a positive experience. Yeah. But I know of stories of it being a negative experience. And especially people have told me like if you go into it like afraid or go into it feeling negative feelings, like you have a really negative trip that could be like scary and bad. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I would feel that way because I'm afraid of it. So yes, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. And I already have horrible nightmares that are trippy and terrifying. And so I'll just I have to enhance that. And I'm done. But like yeah. the thing about it of where you like just like just discover parts about yourself and feelings that you can't that tap would be into. Cool. That would be cool. I would love to do that. But because it's almost like a backdoor access to this to you, whole parts other... of your brain, and where yeah. you you can just like make sense of yourself and make sense mm-hmm. of your feelings. I wish I could do that, but I'm too afraid. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm pretty self aware, anyways. <laughs> it's fine. I don't need that. It's like we're good. We Thanks. can just we can just talk through it. Yeah, you and me. Yeah, that's we'll talk what we do. Our feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just did that before mm-hmm. recording this. Always. We did that for like an I hour. I have so many feelings all the time. Me too. So I just feel like I could just talk for hours about that. We and, and we, we do. do. True. We do. <laughs> We've unpacked so many boxes. We really have. <laughs> We're like each other's therapists. Yeah, it's kind basically. of funny. I love it because it's like free. I know. It's free. And we and we both, I feel like, give good advice to each other. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's healthy. It is healthy. Better than the Manson family relationships. No, they're, yeah, they're not. We'll make our own family. We will. See, the thing is, don't have one authoritative figure that no. will throw off the whole, whole thing. thing. That's you're Don't already do, doing it wrong. You know wrong. what? You can have a hierarchy for organizational purposes in, mm-hmm. say, a bureaucratic business type situation. But mm-hmm. if y'all are all just chilling at a ranch, there's no need for one of you for, to be better than the other. No, no, not that in a hierarchy doing, anyone is better than the other. But no, but like you're all doing the same thing, and where a bureaucracy structure, people have different jobs. It's not very communist of you. 
to be no. claiming to live on a commune. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. Just anyways. saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, where did I live, leave off? Oh, I was just, okay. That's, okay, so, so psychedelic drugs. So Helter Skelter, he thought that he had to, like, trick people into race war. So he was going to kill, aff- like, affluent white people. He seriously thinks he's so much smarter than everyone I, else. It just makes me laugh. I'm going to trick people into a race war by murdering <laughs> Which, like, if it's, some people. Which, like, if it's so imminent, then why do you have yeah. to start it? Yeah, why can't it just Why can't it just naturally occur? Yeah, like, what's the problem? See, this is why I'm like, he just made this up to control his family. Yes. So, yeah, I will tell you my full thoughts about it later. Please do. But so, again, just to get this straight, because I feel like this is the piece of the story people like miss. And they think that the murders are unrelated to Helter Skelter and they don't really get it because they're killing white people. They are killing affluent white people to garner attention Mm -hmm. and they are making it look like black people did it. So they are attempting to start the race war okay. by killing famous white people and blaming it on black people. Are they going to? So I'll I tell lo- you how they blame it. Okay. okay. The blaming yeah. part mm-hmm. is probably confusing right now. They're it. They don't do very well. They don't do a good job. No, of course not. Well, do they set up the murders to? I'll tell you. I can't. Okay, I can't really okay. give you an example without telling you exactly what they do. Okay, please. I will describe. tell you. Okay, so Manson begins Helter Skelter. On August 8th of 1969, at the very end of the Summer of Love, it was like the best year ever until this Mm -hmm. happened. Rude. So, at Spawn Ranch, Manson is not having a good day. (laughs) He gets a lot of bad news on August 8th that triggers his desire to start Helter Skelter. So, he had just learned that three of his family members are in jail. And this is, like, making him worried because he's the patriarch. He's in control Mm -hmm. of this whole family. He's responsible for everybody. They've completely surrendered their entire livelihood to him. Like, he's responsible for them. He called them his children. So, I mean, he has to, like, get them out and take care of them. Yeah. So the first Manson family member who's in jail that he figures out about this day is Bobby Beausoleil. And this story has a fun fact I'll tell you at the very end that is such a fun fact. Okay. I don't think you Oh, my God. I enjoy a good fun fact. This will be, like, your favorite fun fact. Okay. So, (laughs) Bobby Beausoleil is in jail because on August 25th, 1969, so, like, a couple days before, like, a week-ish before, Manson had sent Bobby, along with two of his other family members, Mary Bruner and Susan Atkins, to the home of a man named Gary Hinman. So, Gary Hinman was a musician living in L.A. who was... He kind of had befriended some of the Manson family members. He didn't, like, know fully how crazy they were or, like, how culty they were. He just had kind of made acquaintanceship with them. And some of them had stayed over at his house a couple times. He's, like, he kind of reminds me of, like, a Jim Morrison type because he was a student at UCLA and he's a musician. So maybe he would have became a Jim Morrison. But um, But that's not going to happen. No. Because this is a podcast about murder. He's about to die. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Manson wants Bobby, Mary, and Susan to go to Gary's house to convince him to join the family, but it's a very selfish reason that he does this. So the family was needing some money because even though they're living on this like deserted ranch and stuff, like they still need money. Mm-hmm. And it's like 30 of them <laughs> living there. <laughs> That's a lot they of people. They have to feed themselves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, he had an idea, and I don't know where this miscommunication or confusion occurred, that Gary had 
inherited a lot of family money and that he was like rich and that he was just sitting on all this cash. Okay. I don't I really don't know where he gets this from, but <laughs> so he's like, okay, go convince Gary to join the family. And then we will have him as part of his like initiation into the family, which they all had to do because it was very commune style. Turn over all your assets to the family. And we, oh, you know, yeah. we all share in, in everyone's wealth. things and we're all we're mm-hmm. all one and we all love each other. So he was like, this is a good way to get money because that guy has a lot of money. So he was totally misinformed. Gary did not have a lot of money. Yeah, he's, he's a just, student. He, I don't know where he gets this from. I will give you a resource for learning more about this in a second where you could maybe figure that out. But um, so they end up going over there and are like trying to convince him to join the family. And he's like, no, I don't want to join a cult. Like, I'm good. And then they're like, finally, they switch over to like, OK, we'll just give us all your money or we're going to like hurt you. And we're going to like hurt we're going you to so bad. Murder you. <laughs> I.e. I will kill you. <laughs> That's probably exactly what they did. Yeah. And with the hand gestures. With the hand gestures. That I'm making that you can't see. And that but voice. You know. Yeah. The like, exact inflections listen. in the voice. <laughs> um, if you don't give us your inherited money. Um, <laughs> I feel like you actually are being very Manson Girl-esque right now. They were, Thank you. They were like so delusional <laughs> and like funny like that. Yeah. Um, we're, I've seen the video of the three of them like singing and arm in arm during their murder trial yeah, yeah they're like singing and walking through the and halls of the courthouse dresses, and it's like what is happening right now they're still delusional yes <laughs> so unhealthy kids yes <laughs> so all of this like you know talk about love and like self-love and love for everyone and love for the world and everything mm-hmm. totally kind of gets turned on its head when they are told to do something by Charles by Charles Manson and they have to fulfill that goal. Yeah. And if violence is what they need to do, violence is what they need to do. So they start, like, torturing Gary because they... <gasps> they torture him? Yes. This is going to oh, get so bad. Oh, Gary. Oh, this is going to get bad. Oh, no. It's going to get really bad. I'm sorry. Okay. 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 Just to warn you. Um, <laughs> this is going to be really bad. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so bad. Oh, oh and then it gets God. worse later. But uh, don't worry. Ever- it's interesting. It's a murder podcast. People want to know. <laughs> I included details. Y'all like details. <laughs> so, so they are torturing him because they still believe he has money because Charlie thought he had money and Charlie knows everything. And Charlie's God. Yeah. And he's like, guys, I literally don't have money. That's how he said it. As they're pulling out his fucking fingernails, they're like, guys, I literally don't have any money. Let me write you a song instead. Like, I just want to play my guitar. He can't. His fingernails. <laughs> Okay, they didn't take his fingernails, but they do something very bad. His teeth? No. Oh, his toes? I mean, honestly, what you're saying is worse. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm like medieval England style. Like, did you try to blow up Parliament? Are you Guy Fox? Rip off your fingernail. That's what I'm thinking about. Stop saying that. It's making my fingers hurt. I used to do that. It's the worst. Oh, my God. We're done talking about it. Okay, I'm sorry. Ow. My fingers literally hurt. (laughs) Do you know what drawn and quartering is? Do I want to know? Yeah, tell me. Okay. So it was basically, so it was punishment. It was a, you know, a death sentence for those who had defied the crown. And the most famous sufferer of the being drawn and quartered is William Wallace, who fought the English for Scottish freedom. You know. I know William Wallace. I've seen Braveheart. You've seen Braveheart. He didn't look like that, but you know. Um, I wish. So like what they would do is they would half hang you. So they'd hang you until you were partially dead. And they would drop you on the ground 
you're almost asphyxiated, you're delusional, and then they would take a hot metal iron thing, like a like a pole. Like a brand? Yeah. And they would slice you open and quarter you. It's, it's called the what? Being drawn and quartered. <laughs> Creative. <laughs> it's very literal. And there's also um, like I'm the wheel. I'm getting hot. I'm getting like, sweaty. I'm <laughs> moving my pants up. There's also the method of torture with like the wheel where they would like, like tighten ropes and then pull your limbs. And then they would use horses for that too. And they'd literally like have the horses march in opposite direction, but they'd be have ropes tied to your wrists and to your feet and they'd walk in opposite directions and then rip you open. Yeah. And then there's Vlad the Impaler. Oh my God, I don't need to know more. Dracula. Actually, no, I, I need to know that now that you said that. Okay, so Vlad the Impaler, the inspiration for Bram Stoker's uh-huh. Dracula, and also like subsequently Erzabet Bathory is like yeah, also related I was about to, say, to that. Didn't, yeah. um, it's like the bloodletting stuff, but he would like torture people by sticking... Like, he would stick their entire body on a spike, so he would shove it up their fucking butthole, <laughs> up through their mouth, <laughs> and they would be fucking alive. <laughs> Why are we laughing? <laughs> we're so just laughing because we're uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that terrible? <laughs> and then he would leave their bodies in, like, massive uh, fields, and that some of them would live through that torturous process, God. and then they would die because they bleed out because they have a fucking pole through their fucking body. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. You're making me laugh at very yeah. appropriate times. Yeah. And Did, that- have you seen the movie The Hitcher? No. Okay. So have you seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? No. What? You haven't seen Fast Times? With like Spicoli? No. no. With Sean Penn as like the surfer dude from no. the 80s? No. Okay, well. I've never even heard of that before. What? Okay, adding it to the list. Okay. Oh my god, you have to make me a list of movies. I have to watch. a list on my phone. Yes, and I need them. I need that list. Okay. Because you're not gonna be okay. We have to have planned movie nights where I FaceTime you. <gasps> okay. And we watch a movie. My mom and I do that all the time. We yes. we go see movies like at the movie theater mm-hmm. and then we like text each other what yes. whether we liked it or we not. We have to do that for we the should do that for, for sure. the for this Manson movie. Well, this okay. The Manson movie is coming out literally the day I am driving to Montana in my U-Haul. But you know how people or movie theaters release movies like the night before. Yes. Okay, so we all go see it that night. Like okay. I've been checking on, on July Cinemark. 25th, yeah, like late night. That's yes. like the night, like my last night here. Oh my god, I'm asking for that night off. Ask for that night off immediately. Okay. Yes. We we all go. Okay, like the every twenty second and the twenty fifth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Okay. Torture. So how do they torture him? Okay, so I don't really know. I don't Probably really know not what like Vlad the Impaler. They're definitely not doing that. Drawing and quartering people, but they're I, they have a sword. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> kind of like a Kill Bill situation. Where do they get a fucking sword? Where do they get these ideas? I don't. I know. don't know. <laughs> they pull them out of their fucking ass. That's where they get them from. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She has no patience for the man's family. No, I would not have a great time. I would be like, don't touch me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bubble. I don't love you. Leave me alone. <laughs> We're not all in love with each other. Sorry. Okay. They have a sword. I don't know where they get it. They're okay, like cool. kind of torturing him with the sword. So then Charlie gets like very impatient because they're Is like. Is he there? No, he's not okay. there, but they call him. Oh, yeah. No, and he's they're like, there. Yeah. 
there's no money here. It's like I don't. I think you I were missing the mattress. Is this there's, the right address? Like, like what's going on? Where, yeah, <laughs> is this the right address? After they tortured this poor guy with a fucking sword. No, it was the right address. But um, this is the right person. <laughs> no, it was right. It was right. Don't worry. It was like, definitely the right guy. It's just yeah. like I don't know how he got misinformed about the money thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So he goes over there mm-hmm. and takes the sword and chops his ear off. <gasps> Oh my god! Like cuts his ear like off, Van like Van Gogh style. Like Van Gogh style, except for he did not except do it to himself. He did, he did it, it to, to this poor Gary. Yeah, Jim Morris and Gary. Jim Morris, Jim Morris and Gary. And Ga- okay, okay, <sighs> that's fucking rude. And then they realize after doing slicing his ear off with a fucking a sword. sword that I'm imagining is a samurai sword because that's what I <gasps> Ooh, want it a to katana? be. Yes, I want it to be that. It probably so was that's that. What it is? So that's what it is. And after they do that. And he is still like, listen, I have no ear and I have no money. <laughs> listen. <laughs> Ears. <laughs> Open your listening. Put your listening caps on. On. <laughs> you just took my ear and I need you now to listen with yours that you currently have. That on you your have. Because I didn't chop them off of your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's how calm he was in this entire conversation. I feel like Gary was a calm guy. I feel like he probably Based was. Based on what I, I know like about him. The name Gary is just calming. It is. You know, it's just like a chill name. Oh, there's this like... It's like a 40 Did you listen to the mini-sode of um, My Favorite Murder on Monday? No. Okay. They have like a compilation of some of their like older mini sews, just like the really funny the stories. Funny ones, yeah. And there was one that I totally remember when it happened, but um they're long story short, there's like a baby named Gary in the story. And they oh were doing God. this whole bit yes. about like babies yes. named Gary. Yes. And I was like showering and listening to it by <laughs> myself at home and just like cracking up <laughs> laughing. They make me laugh all the time. Uh, me too. I like love out it. loud and so funny. They're the best. Yeah. And I always have my windows open in my house because it's hot in there. Yeah. And I don't cackling. Have yeah, and I'm like fucking laughing about murder. <laughs> I'm sure my neighbors love me. Oh, oh that's my funny. gosh. When I was thinking about the podcast that I told you to listen to, the You Must Remember This, mm-hmm. I remember when I first listened to that, I was still living in that first floor apartment on Horsetooth. And I was like cleaning my apartment and just blaring it through my Ooh, stereo. Yeah. And it was just it's so. It's just like the way it's and produced. And they tortured him with a sword. It's like an actually produced well podcast not Ooh, at all like what we're doing over here and <laughs> we're well produced we, we're just not we don't yeah <laughs> there's no music there's no really no editing well we're in a professional studio though we are but the only we're thing not professional gonna, like, about, i'm not gonna do extra this. stuff for this i'm already sitting here me too <laughs> like i for did hours. the research <laughs> like what else do you want from me <laughs> same but she does these voices that are like a little bit distracting but other she than that, voices for each of the yeah, I don't want to say anything bad about it because I love it so much, and it's kind of funny once you like hear them a couple times. But I oh don't think God. I don't know if they're meant to be funny. They're just See, to like signify that she yeah. is reading a quote, and that it is oh, not her talking. And it's not her. Okay, but they you make could just me uncomfortable. say and I quote. <laughs> but I, I don't mean, know. Like I'll still listen to it. I think it's it still amazing. Great. It's like one of the like top five favorite podcasts. Like Ooh. it's so good. I don't okay. want to say anything bad and about it. I feel it. like that's a hard list to get onto since you listen to so many things. I do. It's just really well done. And it's about the history of Hollywood and a lot of Ooh, the history oh, that I people that choose stuff. not to remember. Yes, please. It's really, I'll take it's one really, of really good. Okay. I'll have to listen to it. Okay. So anyways, they slice his ear off and he's like, I still <laughs> have no money. <laughs> and they're like, 
Maybe he's telling like, you can cut off both my ears. I still won't. I will have not any. have money. This is not gonna work. And I and by this time they're like, maybe he's telling the truth because we did just slice his ear off and he is not get like he would have given Hello. up the money money by now if he had it. The Russians wouldn't have given up. Just no, saying. those are some stubborn those are some people. real torturing people. <laughs> they really like it. They torture you until you say exactly what they want you to say. <laughs> so clearly they're not Russian. Oh, my fingernails still hurt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. You won't ever have that happen to you. It's Are you fine. sure? No, I cannot 100% guarantee. I, mean... I don't, I can't. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, like... I just made the connection of the ear being sliced off to the ear being sliced off in Reservoir Dogs. Maybe that drew Quentin Tarantino in to the Manson family because he was like, Possibly. we share the similar torture methods. Yep. We're both visionaries. <laughs> We're both visionaries and we both like cutting off people's ears. Therefore, I will honor you with my next film. <laughs> this wouldn't, I, I feel like this is the perfect last episode of I our think podcast. So. Really I think talking so. about so many inappropriate things and I know, laughing at them. And I love it. Oh my gosh. But anyway. Okay. okay. So back to what we're talking Dang it. Okay. So they cut the ear off. He's yes. like, still have no money. They're like, okay. I've said this like seven times. I think it's so funny. It's like, chop. I still. Like, did you think it was going to fall out of my ear? I don't. That's why I don't understand torture. Especially like when they're like, honestly. Yeah, like there's, I don't they have can't any money. Make anything, yeah, they can't nothing's make it gonna happen. All you're gonna do is disfigure me, and it's gonna suck, and I'm gonna hate you forever. <laughs> like I'm gonna be grumpy for the rest of my yeah, life, and then you're probably gonna get in trouble for it. So like, I guess I'm gonna go tell on you, <laughs> unless you murder me first, which probably which will happen. is exactly what happens. Yeah. So oh, hang on, Gary. <laughs> you good? I'm good. Sorry, I'm sick. I'm always sick always when we're recording. Sick. I know. <gasps> what did I do? Oh, oh my no. god. Oh no. <laughs> On the last episode and still can't figure it out. Still don't know how Adobe Audition works. Oh. Yeah, no, we fixed it. It's fine. We thought we deleted this whole thing. Yes, and we're, like, we're already like a gem. almost an hour in. And we made so many quality jokes about ears <laughs> and swords. I don't and know about I, quality, but we certainly uh, attempted to. We did. I liked them. Me too, and that's what matters. <laughs> Okay, we gotta get past this ear. I know, but it's so funny. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't mean to laugh at this man's like torture and subsequent death, but like, oh my god, wait till you figure out the fun fact I haven't told you. Oh, okay, okay, that'd be so great. We need to get past the... this ear, or this episode's never yeah. gonna end. No, I'm so sorry. Okay, I've been okay. moving past the ear. Yeah, we haven't even Sharon Tate hasn't even. She hasn't. Okay, so they finally are like, okay, he's telling the truth. No money. But we can't let him go. We cut his ear off. (laughs) We did this. So Bobby just stabs him with the sword and murders him. Oh, my God. Jesus. So. I hate this. Okay. (laughs) This is stressful. (laughs) Okay. So this wasn't the true beginning of Helter Skelter because Gary wasn't an affluent person. But. They kind of use it. They didn't think it was going to end in a murder. It just did. So they use it as an opportunity to sort of begin Helter Skelter. So they stage the crime scene in a Helter Skelter fashion by writing political piggy on the wall in blood and drawing a panther paw, which very badly, it's not very good drawing, in blood, which was supposed Mm -hmm. to be the Black Panther symbol. Right. Thinking that the police would arrive 
and be like, well, there's a panther paw on the wall and mean things about the police. This is obviously a crime committed by a the Black, black Panthers. Uh, okay. <laughs> Their logic was not sound. They would not no, have passed the LSAT. Absolutely not. So, again, they are doing this for the purpose of Helter Skelter, but this isn't the true beginning of it. Because remember, we have to kill people that people, like, everyone will care about. Not that people right. don't care about Gary, but, That'll like, have influence yeah. and, like, impact the community and make people angry enough to incite this helter-skelter race war. Yes. When in reality, the Beatles just wanted to sing about a slide and some love stuff. And that was it. Just let them. Don't drag the Beatles into just, it. How dare you, first of all. Good Lord. Secondly, how dare you? <laughs> Thirdly, how dare you? <laughs> Those are the Beatles, sir. <laughs> they are pure and good people. And John Lennon wrote the song Imagine. And it's, my it's favorite a really, song. really good song. That's my all-time favorite song. It is a great song. And leave them alone. Okay? That's all I have to say. Back off. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready for the Back fun facts? Yes. Oh okay. my God. Yes. Please tell me the most, the best fun. This is this such better a fun be fact. Legit. Oh my God. Okay. It's legit fun. Okay. Ga- <laughs> Gary Hinman. Yeah. From Fort Collins. <gasps> Are you serious? <laughs> Was he born here? Yeah. He's from Fort Collins. Oh my God. I feel famous. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm a part of this now. <laughs> Do you want to be I part of it? Legit, like half chills from that. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, sorry. And who's That's our favorite amazing. reporter at the Coloradoan? I don't even know who's our favorite reporter at the Coloradoan. Erin Udell. Oh yes, Erin Udell. Yes, she has a podcast. podcast. Yeah, she has an an episode. Um called the pod past which is <gasps> hilarious oh my god that's so clever I, know. I enjoy that immensely and it is about gary hinman <laughs> and like you can learn more about his connections to fort collins i mm-hmm. listened to this when it when i saw it like on her twitter like it was like over a year ago yeah and i listened to it and actually listened to it on the shuttle to the pikes peak parking lot at the D- at dia <laughs> nice <laughs> just random i don't know why i remember <laughs> that but um because it was influential. It was. I remember, like, some sort of connection to Horse Tooth. Like, maybe his grandpa built something. I don't remember. <gasps> There's, like, really Guys. good information in there and why he moved to California. You might be able to figure out why Manson thought he had money, because I'm sure that's in there. I just don't remember why, and I did not re-listen oh to it. God. But go listen to it. I mean, yes. just, just Google. Well, I'll I'll link it below, but if you just want to look it up, like, Aaron Udell, Colorado Inn, Gary Hinman podcast, or... Whatever. That was a lot of words. I think it was called like Fort Collins Connection to the Manson Murders or something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so fun. Isn't that so cool? What a fun fact. I know. I knew. I told you it was legit fun. That's so exciting. Hmm. Okay. So the other annoying thing that. So, okay. So way back up. We're on August 8th. This Mm -hmm. is all happening in July, but we're now on August 8th. The night in which Helter Skelter starts. And the news Char- Charlie gets that night is that Bobby Beausoleil, the one who ultimately murdered Gary, yeah, is the one who he sent to kind of control the whole situation, is in jail because he was driving Gary's car, which is not a good oh my, idea. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's real bad. That's very stupid if you're trying to blame it on someone else. Yeah, exactly. And had Gary's murder been a cold case up until this point? 
No, or because there like been... remember this happened on July. It happened on July twenty fifth, and we're okay, like so in it's the not beginning. Like... It's been like a week. Mm-hmm. So okay, so yeah, it's still active. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. I don't know why I was like July and August are so far away. <laughs> it's <laughs> a month after. <laughs> so <laughs> he's agitated about that. He's also Obviously. agitated because. By Bobby being arrested, he now knows that people are not catching on to the Black Panthers did it scenario, which is annoying to him because he can't, the Helter Skelter is not working yet, and he feels that it is his calling. (laughs) This is the worst. (laughs) Okay, so the other two Manson family members who are also in jail are Mary, who was one of the Manson girls at the Gary Hinman situation, and another Manson girl named Sandra Good. They were using a stolen credit card, which the Manson family did regularly. Mm -hmm. Like, they committed a lot of kind of, like, lower-level offenses just, like, all the time. Right, petty thefts Um, and stuff like that. Yeah. And their bail was $600, and he did not have $600. Of course not. And I don't think Bobby's bail was anything too concerning because I'm sure it was, I don't even know if there was bail set. Right. Or it, it was mean, probably like astronomical if there, if there was. Probably. So angry, in need of cash, mm-hmm. annoyed, losing control of the family. He's like, tonight's the night. We are starting Helter Skelter. Yeah. For real this time. <laughs> For real. So he's, no ear chopping and no, no swords, no swords, just full, just guns and stuff. Well, and some knives. We're gonna bring some knives. <clears throat> that'll and be that'll be important. It, it'll be gross. <laughs> it'll be so terrible, you guys. <laughs> just wait, just wait till you see it. Oh boy. So he sends four of his family members. Um, Tex Watson. Tex was a nickname because he's from Texas. Oh and, really? Yes. Um, <laughs> so Tex Watson is kind of in charge. And then they also have Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, and Patricia Kren- Krenwinkel. These are... Krenwinkel. Well, <laughs> Krenwinkel. <clears throat> These are the three women you were referring to in the video who are holding hands and singing mm. in the halls of the courthouse. Creepy. Like psychopaths. Like creepy, murdering psychopaths. Yes. <laughs> I have no sympathy. Who are... Well, I have sympathy because they're suffering okay. from brainwash, mental illness, probably. At the same time. I actually have a weird amount of sympathy for the Manson girls. Not as much as for Charles yeah. Manson, but I do have sympathy for the Manson family members who were dragged, who were like preyed on because they just wanted to be like a little rebellious and like counterculture. And then it, they just totally got manipulated. Yeah. And it's like, this is not counterculture. This is like anti culture, just anti. Everything. Life, <laughs> yeah. which is murder. Anti the rules. You don't kill people. That's yeah. It's not really. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I like that. You don't have to do that. <laughs> you may. You I mean, you can. I mean, you could, but like, you do not have you to. Don't. It's a decision. And um, it's probably not the best decision. But if you're brainwashed, maybe you do have to, you know? Yeah. It's like a weird I do feel. Situation. I do feel bad for the Manson girls. But. I can understand. I'll explain my sympathies later. Yeah, um, sorry. They are told to go to a home in the Hollywood Hills located at 10,050 Cielo Drive. This is the address in which the cops are called to at the very beginning of Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. I do remember this. Now, fun side story that I you wouldn't know if you didn't. I don't think you know this. Okay. This was the former home of Terry Melcher. 
Now, this is where we get into what I believe are Charles Manson's real motivations Mm -hmm. and why I think that Helter Skelter is bullshit. So Melcher was the son of Doris Day, and he was a famous music producer responsible for creating some of the most influential songs in counterculture at the time. My favorite, Turn, Turn, Turn by the the Birds. That's on my groovy, moody playlist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, produced that song. <clears throat> Worked with, like, the Beach Boys and the Birds and... A whole bunch of fun uh, groups. Yeah, he was, like, a very important guy. Mm-hmm. So Melcher meets Manson one day when Dennis Wilson... <gasps> oh, yeah, I know this story. One of... Yep. You do? Mm-hmm, I think so. So Dennis Wilson is a one of the Beach Boys... And he encounters some members of the Manson family when he picked up one of the Manson girls who was hitchhiking one day. And he's, like, super interested in it. Because on the outside looking in, it's probably really cool, actually. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, it's such a weird... I mean, that's why people are so interested by this case in the first place. Because we have this outside perspective of it. And we're like, well, tell me all about it. What's it like? And then when you actually live it, it's a different experience. Right. And he was just fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, he had some of the Manson family members over to his house, and he got to know them. And he's one of us. Yes, he's to- he totally is. Oh my god! Well, this is pre-murdering Mansons, right? But, but like, he probably had some interests. Yeah, equates to true crime interest. That is true. Beach Boys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a total assumption. But <laughs> I mean, whatever. I think I think you're on. You're right. But um, <clears throat> so. If you remember, Manson wants to be a rock star. Well, a acoustic star. <laughs> not he a rock star. He wants to be a rock star, but just like his guitar. But without plugged in, not plugged into an amp. Yeah. He's... And you just have to listen with your soul. Yes. <laughs> Even in the back. Yes. Uh, see, I love that. Oh, very like Towns Van mm-hmm. Zandt, Bob Dylan. He was doing yeah. that kind of stuff. He throws out good vibes. You can buy his album on iTunes if you want. There's Manson's... an album. Called lies. <laughs> I'm looking at it. It's honestly not right that bad. Does he sing in it? Yes, and it's really not that bad. I kind of like it. And if I didn't know it was Manson, I probably would enjoy it more. Go okay. look it up. I'll link it below. I can't, I'm not going to listen to it tonight though, because that freaked me out. It's not freaky. He's not like singing about murder. I know, but like at the same time, just knowing <laughs> who I'm listening to. <laughs> Well, he didn't actually murder anybody. I know. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so he in- ends up having this like connection to Terry Melcher and mm-hmm. tells him about the whole thing. Melcher's also really interested in the Manson family and into Manson himself and is like basically says like, well, you can come over to my house and kind of do like an audition essentially to see if I'm interested in doing anything musically with you. And there was actually even talks about creating a documentary about the Manson family at Spawn Ranch when oh. they were interested in them. And again, this is like son of Doris Day. Like he's it, he is he's connected. Influential, yes. And he goes to the house. This is Terry Melcher lived at the house on Cielo Drive at this mm-hmm. time. And he does his audition and Melcher's like, you're pretty good, but like not up to my standards. Like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And this infuriates Manson because if you remember, a lot of his anger towards the entertainment industry are the connections. And obviously he's famous or he probably got into this industry because his mom is Doris Day and he's mm-hmm. turning him away because he he's not connected to him. And Yeah, right. He's just angry because nothing ever goes his way. And like mm-hmm. we said earlier, he is a grown he's up a, child. A toddler. And he 
is very selfish and self-centered. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't understand <clears throat> the statement that life isn't fair. Not everyone will like you. Yeah. Okay. You and have 30 okay. people obsessed with you. Yes. Just you like are them. Fine. Be in that group. They'll do whatever you ask. Like, literally. You are fine. <laughs> so... Melcher had moved out of the home on Cielo Drive by August of 1969 and was renting it to Roman Polanski and his wife, Sharon Tate. So Roman Polanski is a famous movie director. He directed Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown. And Sharon Tate was a lesser known actor. But when she married uh, Roman Polanski, she got a little bit more famous. So they're actually living in the house but roman is on he's like overseas he's like in europe doing something mm-hmm. like that he wasn't i mean he's roman polanski he like wasn't home all the time yeah he's so doing his thing the people who were actually in the home on cielo drive on the night of august 8th were sharon tate who is eight months pregnant at the time so tragic and again roman polanski's wife her friend and former lover, Jay Sebring. So Roman and Sharon kind of had like an open marriage. Okay. And I'm pretty sure they were both aware of it. And Jay was a hairstylist in, to like the stars. Ooh. <laughs> like a notable <laughs> hairstylist. And yeah, he does Kim Kardashian's hair. Probably. Well, he's dead now. Well, he's dead, yeah. But, but like um, he would have if he lived totally here now. Totally would have. And he had like this former romance with Sharon. And then possibly current. It, definitely current. <laughs> and then um, Roman's friend and an aspiring screenwriter, I'm going to pers- try to say his name, Wojciech Frykowski. That sounds fine. Okay. And uh, <laughs> that sounds like a name. And then Frykowski's girlfriend or lover, I don't know if they were like committed to each other, mm-hmm. Abigail Folger, the heiress to the Folger coffee fortune. Ah, oh, Folger. The best part of waking up. His folders, folders in, in your, your cup. cup. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we got Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. Jay Sebring, mm-hmm. Wojciech Frykowski, and Abigail Folger. Big players here. Yes, they're chilling at the house. So Manson tells Tex, I want you to go to that house where Terry Melcher used to live and totally destroy everyone in that house as gruesome as you can. Make it a real nice murder, just as bad as you've ever seen. And get all their money. Oh my God. So that those are Manson's instructions to, to text. And a lot of the quotes I will be providing in the coming minutes of this podcast episode are based on Terry or on Tex's um testimony. I was just gonna ask you where you got the quote from. Yeah. And I was like, that wasn't a text message. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm definitely going to I t- totally re-listened to the exact episode of you must remember this that has the murder part in it and took Mm -hmm. a lot of the quotes she also selected because it made my job a lot easier but credit to her she thank you so much i mean she didn't make up the quotes but she selected them and i selected the ones she selected so okay says that to tex and he also sends so he sends the girls the three girls with tex but tex is kind of like in charge and he sends them with knives and like they each get a knife a murdering knife not like a little knife. Like a big ass like a knife. Big knife. And like almost a sword knife. <laughs> not, not that big. <laughs> they each had katanas. And they waltzed in. No, they had katanas like walking dead style. And they're like yes. pull out like from Michonne. each side yes. of their shoulders. Yes. And they it was slow. And that's what they were armed walking with. down Cielo Drive. Yep. Um, no, but I get it. Like machete 
almost kind like of like a kitchen knife or something like a oh like a bit well, like a big kitchen like the big like one a butcher knife. in the yeah butcher knife <laughs> not a butcher not like the square <laughs> one like the, I know what you're talking about a stabbing knife a steak knife a steak no, no. <laughs> I know what you're saying okay a big one I know what you're and saying and the thing that you have knives in the big one okay so the knife block the big one the big knife knife and the knife block okay so they all have a knife he's like here's your knife and he like bestows it upon them I bought three knife blocks for this shit (laughs) like I bought them the the rest of them are unusable (laughs) this is the one but I bought them for this exact knife so we have three sets of knives so you better use these wisely okay (laughs) oh my god this whole episode is like inappropriate totally distasteful whatever that's okay (laughs) so okay and then he gives Tex a gun but he's like this is your like last resort thing because I want there to be like blood everywhere and this to be really gruesome so use your knife as as much as you can and then guns like like a last resort situation disgusting I know instructions they're not great so like I need there to be a lot of blood and I bought three knife sets so I need you to use this (laughs) okay well, okay. four because Tex had one too. Oh yeah, four of them. Oh, that's so many. Tex just had an additional what gun. What a target run! Honestly, oh my gosh, honestly, stress. Maybe there was like a cartwheel <laughs> yes, discount a car- or something. <laughs> okay, we need to stop. We need to stop. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop making jokes. We seem like when psychopaths. I get really excited, I make a lot of jokes. <laughs> I make jokes when you so make jokes. Bad. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> keep talking. Okay, and then Manson tells the girls to write something witchy on the walls to make it look like the same people who murdered Gary Hinman. As if writing things... (laughs) As if, like, writing something with blood on a wall is an original idea that no one else else in the entire Los Angeles area would ever do. Jack the Ripper did that. Sir, like it's. I mean, if someone does that in one house and then like two hours away in another house, someone does it. They're not yeah. automatically gonna be like, like these are oh, one thousand percent the same people. No. I mean, I might. I feel like it would cross their minds, maybe. But yeah, but the murders are gonna be so different anyway. They're very, they're very different. Yeah, it's not a good idea. They no. didn't think this through. No, it's not thorough at all. He was just like acting on impulse because he was agitated and upset and he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions because the world is out to get him even though everything is love which doesn't make sense because if everything is love then the world is just putting obstacles in your way okay. because it yeah. loves you and it wants you to grow yeah, grow as a person so you take those obstacles you conquer them and you move on yep he didn't view it that way no because he's a grumpy toddler man mm-hmm <laughs> Who... Solved. Yep. Okay. <laughs> we just did an entire psychological evaluation of Charles Manson. Why make it complicated? Well, actually, there's a lot of reasons to make it complicated. <laughs> Never mind. I'm just, I'm just going to let you talk. Okay. <laughs> so they, so Tex and the three Manson girls head off to the house at Cielo Drive. And Manson knew that Terry Melcher didn't live there anymore because he had gone by at a time in which Melcher had already moved out and he saw Sharon Tate and all the other people there. And he didn't, I don't know if he knew exactly who they were, but he knew that like beautiful people living in a home in the Hollywood Hills are probably Mm -hmm. actors or Mm -hmm. something. He like knew. 
He just knew there were like rich people in the house. So yeah, it didn't really matter to him. Like same end result. <laughs> yeah, basically. So that night, um, Sharon, Abigail, Frykowski, I'm not going to try to say his first name again, and <laughs> Jay all eat at a restaurant called the El Coyote, and it is actually still in Los Angeles if you go eat there. And in the episode of You Must Remember This, she said that it was across the street from BuzzFeed's office. <gasps> so the BuzzFeed Unsolved people probably eat lunch there. Oh my God, I wonder if they know. Probably. I don't they, know. I'm sure they know, yeah. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. It probably has a sign on front of it. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe not. Maybe they're like, we're just not. trying to be a Mexican restaurant. And leave. <laughs> we're just, try- we're just trying to own a business. <laughs> we're going there. We're going to LA. We have to go to LA now. That's true. Okay. We have to do a full trip of like Oregon, Washington, and and down. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just make our way down. Yeah. To Southern Los Angeles. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. I want to go to Washington State and just be like, Ted Bundy stood here. And then <laughs> a little <laughs> then murder, we'll murder road trip. Yeah, that sounds great. If we do it, we'll we'll keep the Instagram account for sure. Oh yeah, and we'll put something we'll on there, post some stuff. Okay. I know people in LA. We could stay at their place. Cool. <laughs> okay, we're doing it. Okay. So they had all gone out to dinner at the El Coyote, and then made their way back to Sharon's house at like 10 p.m. And kind of the idea I get about Sharon's house is that she's obviously lonely because her husband's like never there. And she just has friends over all the time. It's kind of Mm -hmm. like the party house and people are coming and going and she invites people over for dinner and just all the time. People are just there. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I do that all the time. I'm like constantly texting my friends if I don't have anything to do at night. I'm like, hey, come over. And she's like a beautiful house. So, like, yeah, it was really open and and the perfect place to entertain. Right. So, like, even if you were there, like a friend, like Abigail, this happens to her later, and like you just see a random person, like that would not be weird to you. You'd be like, oh, that's like, this is just the house where everyone comes. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of people in Hollywood had claimed to have been invited to dinner that night and didn't and had declined her invitation, probably because they wanted attention of like, I was almost murdered by the Manson family. Oh, my God. I was almost there. Yeah. Like um, a member of the Mamas and the Papas. I think it was Mama Cass had said that she was invited to dinner and that she didn't go. And like other people, other people said and some of them could have been genuine, but a lot Mm -hmm. of people were saying it apparently. So kind of weird. Like, random people who had never met Sharon Tate. Like, oh, yeah. Like, a lot of people, apparently. I don't know, but... A- she's having a huge dinner party. <laughs> Everyone in Hollywood was invited. And she's eight and a half months pregnant. Like, yeah. She, I don't... Like, she's such a gracious unlikely. host. Unlikely. Yes. So, okay. They finally arrive at the house, a Cielo Drive. And there's a gate to the house, so they all have to jump over it. Which they do. The gate. <laughs> and they were also given wire cutters to cut the phone lines. And they do. Oh my God. It's actually kind of like semi-thorough. It kind of is. But at the same time, also not thought out. True. You know? Yeah. It's a little bit of organized chaos going yes, on. Yes. Exactly. Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter. <gasps> oh my God. See, he wasn't wrong. He was just applying it to the wrong yes. part of this. Yes. The chaos is the murder. <laughs> not the race war. Yes. <laughs> So, as they are descending upon the Cielo Drive house, mm-hmm. a guy named Steve Parent meets them, kind of, on his way out. So, Steve Parent is friends with a guy named William Gerritsen, who was living in the guest house. Oh, yes. The guest house. Yes. Okay. And 
so William's just like living there and Steve had come over because William was his friend and Steve needed cash that night and he was like trying to sell him his clock radio. Okay. And William was like, no, thank you. But like they hung out for a little bit and then Steve went on his way. He just like really needed cash. So we like made arrangements mm-hmm. to go to another friend's house and try to sell them mm-hmm. his cash ra- or his clock radio. Clock radio. So he's leaving Stealer Drive when they're coming in. So he... They, like, see the headlights, and they, like, duck behind bushes, like, creepy people. And as Steve Parent, like, rolls down the window to do the key code to get out of the gate, Tex just, like, reaches into the car and starts stabbing him. Okay. There's going to be a lot of stabbing in the next 10 minutes. I know. I'm so just, sorry. Okay. So, you know. I'm just going to react. I'm just going to. You can react. Is not Just do what you want. It's Ooh, okay. Stabbing is so. I hate that. That's I, like, I feel like that's like the worst way to be murdered. It really is. He stabs him like, oh, there's so much stabbing. He stabs him a lot of times and then he just shoots him. Oh, God. Okay. And See, that's, okay, okay. So that's taken care of. So <laughs> they just kind of leave him there and oh make their way up to the main house. And the way they get in. So the girls didn't know that murdering was what they were going to do. The Manson girls did it? Yeah. They didn't know. So what? the instructions were only given to Tex, if you remember. Oh, yikes. And he yeah. was basically in charge of the night. But Manson told the girls, do whatever Tex tells you to do. I've told him what I want you to do. And they're like, okay. And so they just take giant butcher knives and are like, great. Yeah. And they're, yikes. I think they probably had an idea. Like, they're not idiots, but they right. didn't know exactly what they were going to do. And then- they were a little caught off guard, but they did it anyways because they're brainwashed and they think anything Manson tells them to do is what's in their best interest. So they mm-hmm. do it. So Tex is like, okay, let's look for a way in. And one of the Manson girls who, Linda, she was one of the newest members of the Manson family. And I don't really know why she was sent out on this night because there was yeah. other more indoctrinated members, mm-hmm. but she was. And um, she's like a little weary about it and she actually sees an open window and doesn't tell Tex about it because she's just like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, and it's like that's not something she kind of would... plays dumb. Yeah. And he finally finds like a window screen and he cuts the window screen and they all climb in to the house through that. So once inside, Tex tells well, okay. Linda doesn't go inside. So Linda's the one who is a little apprehensive because she's newer. And he just tells, I think he could pick up on it. And he, mm-hmm. Linda was going to be like a problem. So he was like, you go watch the gate and I'll, you stand watch. We're going to mm-hmm. go take care of this. So Susan and Patricia and Tex go inside. And once they get inside, Frakowski is asleep on the couch in the main room that they get into. And he's woken up by the family members coming through the window. And he's kind of disoriented and is like, who are you? And it, not like it would be immediately concerning because, like I said, the Tate house was really open. People are coming and going. But he didn't recognize them. And they obviously didn't look like movie stars. Like, they're probably gross and dirty because they live on a ranch. Mm-hmm. And he's like, who are you? And Tex says, I'm the devil. And I'm here to do the devil's business. Another word and you're dead. <gasps> So getting a little theatrical. And (laughs) that's a lot. Yep. So he kind of stands there over Frykowski and sends Susan to go check the house and see who else is home. So Susan 
first passes Abigail Folger's room and she's just laying in bed reading and Abigail sees her. Mm -hmm. And like I said, like not too weird. Mm -hmm. And Abigail waves at her. Like, hello, who are you? Like, hi, welcome to the house. Yeah. What's your name? It's really sad. And then she just kind of walks on and then she sees Sharon and Jay in Sharon's room and they're sitting on Sharon's bed talking and they're like so enamored with each other and Mm -hmm. like into the conversation that they don't even see Susan walk by. Creepy. I know. They're just like having such a lovely night. Yeah. And they're just enjoying each other's company. And they're young and they're, she's about to have a baby and everyone else is just like killing it and like yeah and they're all successful and have wonderful careers and the only thing they did to be the target of the manson family was be rich yeah that's all they did rude that's not cool stop being jealous charles manson yes sir so he susan reports back back to tex that there are three other people in the house so tex tells her to go get them so she takes her knife and like brings them all in like threatens mm-hmm. them with her knife Ooh, to get them sorry, to come with I get, her. I got like epic chills just thinking about like. I did do like, I don't know why I did a knife <laughs> gesture. I could stop doing that. No, it's okay. I got, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm a very, I'm like, yeah. okay. Okay. This is not good. All, I feel bad about so much laughing we did earlier. I know. It's okay. <laughs> I was amping myself up for this moment because I know how horrible this scene is. And I just like, oh, scary. <laughs> this is scary. I usually don't get terrified by the stories we tell, but this one may terrify me. Let's... It's terrifying because it's so gruesome and it's so senseless in a way. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's not because like I, they were doing it for... I know it's senseless in terms of what Charles Manson was doing, but I think it was not as senseless in terms of the Manson family because they they were, believed in this. Epic they were thing. so manipulated, and yeah, and I feel like a lot of people don't want to believe that and just want to believe that like it's you you would still have like free will when you're in a cult. But I mean, join a cult and then you tell me that you have free yeah. will. Like, not that I've been in a cult, but like, no, I mean, you don't if you're no. that into it. And there's a lot of psychology behind it, and I don't think that it's appropriate to ignore science when it's convenient and Mm -hmm. I think that in this case we can look at science and we can look at psychology and look at the scenario and understand that these people may 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 have wanted to do this Mm -hmm. and may have been totally fine with doing it and just evil people but they also may have been manipulated by like a mastermind and yeah and they're that's a really real possibility too yeah, and we can't compare them necessarily to the average, quote-unquote, citizen because they're vulnerable people, and he took advantage of that vulnerability. And mm-hmm. therefore, saying that, like, oh, well, they could have just used their their brains. It's like, well, they were using their brains, but they were being manipulated by this man who was taking their vulnerability and not really simplicity, but, like, their, their, their eagerness. Free spiritness. Yes. Yeah. Their their eagerness and free spiritedness. And maybe some of them were a little stupid. Like it's not bad for you to not be overtly intelligent. And it just makes you vulnerable. Yeah. And, so it's and they just were like, looking for somewhere to belong and they didn't yeah. belong anywhere else. And here was a place where. And we isolated them as a society. We did. We totally cut them out. It's totally our fault. Like, and like, honestly, the the ideas that they had today, we would still even isolate them of yes. like wanting to use psychedelic drugs and wanting to be like one with yourself and one with nature and one with each other and be open and be like openly sexual and openly just everything just 
it, it, there are things that people yeah. in our mainstream world have too many sticks up their ass to understand. Yeah. Like, and if you would just, like, chill cool. for a second, you would look at it and, and just, you, if you could look at it and not judge it, that would be yeah. amazing. But people can't do that. Yeah, no. No. It's like a cultural hierarchy thing. It's like. It is. Our Western ideologies have completely dominated our society, and therefore anything that is seen as alien or different is demonized. Yeah, and like I know we've been calling a Charles Manson like a you know like an annoying like little toddler yeah man, but honestly, like he felt not to in any way, shape, or form justify any of his no. actions, but to maybe justify his thoughts a little bit and explain and it, too. Yeah, I think that he really did feel like he was an outcast in the world, and that ha- like he had these ideas that were original and. They obviously were meaningful. They spoke to so many people. They still speak to people today, yet he had no platform to express them, and he wanted something more for himself, and he kept getting turned down because he didn't have the money or the connections, and he comes from a really, like, humble beginnings, and Mm -hmm. I could see that being frustrating, and I could see you being mad at affluent people who didn't necessarily try as hard as you to get to where they were. And those are frustrations that people still experience. Everyone yeah. feels that way sometimes of like, this is unfair. I'm mm-hmm. trying really hard and I'm not getting anywhere. But that's right. life. That's why he created, that's why he went to Spawn Ranch into the desert mm-hmm. where they could experiment with their psychedelic drugs and like, mm-hmm. and that's why they called him his family. Like it's a place of belonging. And yeah, and I think that like we could all sympathize on you know, whatever scale with that feeling of just frustration of I'm trying and I want to do something and I can't do it. And I mean, we're not all reacting by murdering people, but like we can at least understand, you know, have a little bit of humanity and understand why he was frustrated. And I think that like it probably was amplified living in Los Angeles and having all of that success around you. And he was like, I need to go to the desert and be myself and be with my family and these people that are like-minded and mm-hmm. we're just going to express love and we're going to express meaningful thoughts to each other all day and then we're going to yeah. sing and then we're going to go to bed and do it again the next day. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it definitely went south, but. Yeah, but it's idealized at the beginning. It's it like, is. It's such a perfect, it's harmony. It is. They were in harmony. And I think that that's. You know, the Manson girls had that same feeling. They didn't have necessarily the connection to the entertainment industry that he did. Like, they weren't all trying to be musicians. But they were just like, like, if you ever have seen the show, um, it's a fictional show, but Aquarius. Have you seen that show? I've heard of it. it. That is, I mean, the girl in that show who's depicted as a Manson girl, she was just in this, like, her family was rich and affluent and she just didn't really fit in with them and mm-hmm. they were kind she just wanted to be more free and open and they weren't about that and she, like, ran away yeah. and then she met Manson and she fit perfectly in and it was, like, a little weird at first but she, I mean, no one was judging her and she eventually grew to be loyal to all of them and I don't know if all of them shared such radical ideas as maybe some of the other members but like they ha- they grew relationships with each other and they loved each other and they mm-hmm. were willing to be like loyal to each other and do what was best for each other and i think that it just got like way way out of hand as it does with death cults but yes i mean not to say in any way that what they did was right but like no, you but can it's... see a little bit of a logical flow and yeah. to an extent mm-hmm. 
it's always, I mean, like, an, it's an explanation for what happened. It's not an excuse for what happened. Right. It's not an excuse at all. And they should definitely be paying their debt to society as they yes, are. Because they committed a crime. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad if they were sentenced to, like, a psychiatric hospital. No, me neither. I feel like that would have been halfway that appropriate. That would be appropriate. But, um, I mean, the families of the people who are about to get murdered in our story definitely are suffering. Mm-hmm. And they definitely lost people who were artists and visionaries and doing a lot of great things mm-hmm. in making the an world impact in the world they were yeah. making it they were make i mean roman polanski's movies are amazing and i mean although he didn't get murdered but like the movie sharon tate could have gone on to be an even better actor in the mm-hmm. future and like the hairstylist i don't know what he was doing but he could have been doing some yeah, awesome he stuff could have been doing cool things influenced a, like some sort of fashion trend or something yeah you know? and like abigail folger could have come into all this money and like donated it to charities, charities and done really or, great like, stuff with it discovered some new way to make coffee or something yes, like so many cool like, things could have happened yeah and, the possibilities are endless and it really really sucks that their lives were lost simply because they were affluent people and that's not that's not where okay anger should at be all. That's careened towards. Awful. Yeah, and maybe if there were more more acceptance in the world, then people would feel less isolated and less less likely to act out in aggra- aggressive ways if yeah. they had felt more felt more accepting. So maybe I feel like the goal or the moral of the story of our murder story that we're not even done with yet. No. <laughs> so like we're acting like it's over. Yeah. But to, <laughs> is to just be more accepting of people and like, mm-hmm. I you feel know, like it mostly always comes back to it. Acceptance. Really, I mean, that's what happened with Hitler too. He was yes. bullied. He was isolated and bullied by his father and his family. And it's really hard to, you know, think that the world has a place for you when everyone around you is acting like there's not a place for you. Yeah, exactly. And he also got like rejected by art school. Yes, his like painting, which fucking sucks. Because I know exactly how it feels to have someone insult your craft based solely off of some imperfection and that sucks it's like a total again not an excuse to go murder millions of jewish people not an excuse at all but just a little bit of understanding that's what he this is what happened to him and it happened to a person who is vulnerable and exploded Mm -hmm. it is a mental problem it is a societal problem we need to stop isolating people who are different because those differences might cause someone to literally kill people. Right. So we need to like recognize exactly, yeah. that mental health can actually be detrimental to society. And we need to capitalize on making sure that people who are suffering from it know that they are loved and respected and that just because they're different doesn't mean that they don't have a place in society. Right, and, and like, just because you say. don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not real and that it's not a yes. really real emotion that they're experiencing. Yeah, just be respectful of everybody. Just be more accepting. I mean, yeah, especially in today's yeah. world, just be accepting of the, try to be accepting of the other side as hard as it is. And mm-hmm. be why, you know, even the, even people who are like, I mean, I am a very anti-Trump, but like maybe I could understand like why would someone support Trump? You know, like yeah, why? Like, what are the polls there? Why are you know? they why are they supporting something that is so polarizing? Like that might, yeah. you know, that I could be a little bit more accepting of that. And mm-hmm. like that, because those are the people who are like acting out violently now. And yeah. And like in your episode talking about toxic masculinity and mass murder, like maybe we could try to understand a little bit 
of where they're coming from and why they're so angry. Yeah, why men are so angry. Yeah, and because it, it's a male issue. It is a male issue, and we talked a little bit about in your episode the socialization thing, but it goes even beyond that. And if we can understand that more and address it more, then we would have less people feeling the need to act out so aggressively. I think one of the goals of this podcast even and why we talk so casually about such gruesome and awful things and why people are interested in it in the Mm -hmm. first place and why we listen to shows like My Favorite Murder that are comedy murder podcast is because it's it it helps you become a little bit more understanding of the world around you when you talk about things that are so awful that are traditionally not acceptable to talk about because you understand a little bit more about like well we all people die all the time Mm -hmm. awful things happen and it's okay and also people do awful things and it's okay and Mm -hmm. like we can we can learn from them and this is why we study history is to learn from our mistakes one thing we could learn from the Manson family is that Everything is just existing and you can slow down and maybe you go to the desert for a second and chill and just like center yourself and be like, you know what? I'm just living on this universe and just chilling. I could I could calm down a little bit and just notice that the world around me is just happening and Mm -hmm. I'm just living in it. And it doesn't it, it really doesn't matter if someone wants to flail their arms around over there and wear weird outfits and sing if you're going to San Francisco, you should wear flowers in your hair. Like, that doesn't yeah. matter. Like, like, what will that, that's not going to impact you in any way. Yeah. Just be more accepting. Yeah. It's like, just let them do whatever they want. And it goes want. both ways. We could honestly be more accepting of people that have different ideas Absolutely. than us. Absolutely. Of course. And that's why, and I try really hard to be accepting. Claire's as very good at that because she used to actually be on the other side. She like flopped yeah, to political I ideas. I totally did. And I can, I sympathize with both sides of the argument. And so, by doing that, I just allow myself the opportunity to listen to people and I don't just jump in to the conversation. I'm like, well, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not I, I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong about anything. It's like this is my opinion on what's going on. And um, it's not my opinion when it's back with statistical fact. But the fact that I can establish that there is a statistic and that like I have an opinion on everything is like important. And those other people deserve that, too. But it's really horrible when one side says that, well, I'm not mad at the neo-Nazis that are currently having a platform because they're Americans, but I hate drag queens because they're so annoying and just out there, and I wish they would stop talking. It's like, okay, if you can defend these neo-Nazi people who are literally saying that they wish they could kill an entire religion of people and an entire group of people and then not advocate for this guy who just happens to be wearing a dress and you know high heels which the french men did that all the time king louis the 14th wore dresses <laughs> and high heels he popularized red high heels legit like that's why those are popular now is because a guy who is the king of france and like n- one of the number one casanovas of the world like he made them popular so stick that up your fucking tight ass <laughs> and like just it's just so hypocritical. So you may not agree with them and you may not like looking at it, which, first of all, it's fabulous to look at a drag queen because they're amazing. But like you can't just say it's OK. You don't for have these... to look at it, but yeah. you don't have to be bothered by it either. Just right. Why defend the hate group when you're getting so fucking angry at these like people who are advocating for love and peace? It's bullshit. It is. Just anyway, I'm get so your sorry. I'm just gonna hop right off that soapbox. <laughs> but Me too. Yeah. You know what? It's yeah. la- okay, you guys, this is what we do in every episode, but we just like yes. cut a lot of it out. This is the conversation we don't a- 
that into But everything. it's our last episode, so we should leave so it So we're going to leave it in and have it be two and a half hours. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, I just think it's stupid to advocate for platforms for hate groups out of the desire to simply say they have their freedom of speech and the right to assemble. And yet we don't, and yet say such hateful things when the opposite happens to people who are also exerting those exact same rights, but they happen to be people that make you feel uncomfortable because they're men in dresses or they're two women who are getting married or something like that. Like it's just stop doing that because it's not this, it's the same basic principle, but the difference is, is that you are advocating for a hate group simply because they have similar characteristics to you and you're not going to advocate for these other people because they are opposite of you. Yeah, and you can advocate. I, I, I'm not afraid to say I advocate for the hate groups, right? Well, not hate speech because that's not, not hate protected. Speech. But like, but I, right I advocate to... for their right to say shit if they yes, want to. Of course, they're like, American citizens. I, they have that. I will be defending. I, mean, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Like that is their right. It's their First Amendment right. But. There's a difference between advocating for, like, the right to free speech and advocating for hate speech, which isn't protected by the First Amendment. Amendment And, well, variations. It's complicated. But, like, you don't have to support what they're saying. Like, that is the distinction I feel like people don't make enough is, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to, you know, be consistent or whatever and say, like, well, if I'm going to support drag queens and I should support neo-Nazis, it's like, but you don't have to support what they're saying. No. You can support their right to say it. What I support is our First Amendment rights. That's yes, what I, I don't support neo. Yeah, I do not support neo Nazis. Be more. I think people should just be more. They should calm down. Yes, center. S- center. Look at the world a little differently. Meditate, yoga, chill, green tea, and, and then, then apply their thoughts productively and meaningfully, and in a in a way that causes as little damage as possible to the world and people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really not that hard. No. I mean, it is hard when you get caught up in your, like, day-to-day thing to, like, actually do that. But, I mean, if we all, like, tried a little bit more, I feel like the world would be so much more pleasant. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like... And there would probably be less murder. We try, we try hard on this podcast. I know that Randy is, like, always advocating for the use of, like, proper language and making sure we don't want to insult anyone while we're talking about this stuff. So, like, if we can do it while we're talking about murder... <laughs> then everybody else can do it when they're talking about anything else. It's just a lot of people, because I'm from somewhere where people are not politically correct at all and definitely get told, like, you're too politically correct all the time. And I'm just like... There's no such thing as that. I'm I sorry. I feel like political correctness is just kindness. Yes. And it's just and thoughtfulness. Yeah. And it, it. why is it wrong to just talk about someone in the way they want to be talked about like yeah like and to take problem? a little second to maybe educate yourself on it and it's like not that I do it perfectly at all and not that we do it perfectly on this podcast at all but they're I mean at least putting a little bit of intention into the situation and saying sex worker instead of prostitute or mm-hmm. learning um one I learned recently was instead of saying this person committed suicide saying they died by suicide and mm-hmm shifting where the action occurs or saying a minoritized person instead of a minority because then that again shifts the responsibility mm-hmm. onto the people who are creating Actually them creating the, mi- the minoritization the yeah yeah and just things like that where it's like they're or calling a person who is over the age of 18 a woman and not a girl like I mess that one up all the time mm-hmm. but 
you catch yourself and then you turn around or saying I, I caught myself saying this the other day um like oh I'm gonna go like have a powwow with my friends and talk about this issue mm-hmm. or whatever like oh me and Claire are gonna powwow about the next season or whatever like yeah. we don't need to use that word not that we're no. using it in a in negative an way, way but like we don't I and mean, we just don't need to use it yeah. at all like it's not our word yeah right there's better words to use and then even on the other one of the episodes we just recorded I was going to use the word like lower down on the totem pole and we decided that that wouldn't be appropriate considering the connotation and yeah because we were I was already going to be talking about minoritized group in that particular instance and so eliminating that word just helps to establish that we don't want to minoritize anyone. Just use a different word. It's not, there's literally yeah, one thousand words so out there. Many. And get creative. Don't use cliches. Yes. <laughs> don't do lazy writing. Our ultimate, our ultimate, our ultimate lesson. lesson. <laughs> if anything, don't use cliches. Don't do it. Even though we do it all the time. All the time. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm so sorry, you guys. I totally went off on <sighs> a total rant, and I apologize. I just like I have to deal with a lot of like bullshit from some of my family members and. Sometimes I just need to build my argument with people who agree with me so I can go See, back and argue. This is, she's, you are a version yeah. of a Manson girl. You just want people around you to support you. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Where, what did I say last? Oh, okay. I remember. Okay. Oh, you do? <laughs> I do. Because I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. So oh, yes. the last, yeah, the last thing I said was that. Susan had reported back to Tex that there were three other people in the house, mm-hmm. and then Tex told her to go get everyone with her knife, like, control them with the knife, and then you freaked out about the knife. Oh, yes, knife. And then I don't know where we went from there, to be honest. Oh, come um, on. Like, knives are fucking terrifying. They're really they're scary. They're so scary. Can, that would hurt. I don't want to think about it. Let's not talk about okay, it. I'm My sorry. fingernails already hurt. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> okay, so she's got everyone. She gets in everyone the, in the, the place. Yeah. They're all in the living room. So... They tie up, they, they tie them up. I don't want to go into detail. They're tied up. Yeah. And then as they're tying up Sharon, um, Jay, her lover, gets upset because she's eight and a half months pregnant. pregnant. Yes. And they're like hurting her. So he says, can't you see she's pregnant? And gets like really agitated. So Tex shoots him in the stomach. <gasps> oh, God. And So sad. Yeah. So... I can only imagine what it would be like for Sharon to watch that happen. I know. And I mean, he's not like her baby daddy, but she, she, I no, feel like but, she like, loves him important... more than her baby daddy. Yeah. He's an important part of her life. No. Regardless of whatever their relationship is. Yeah. This is going to, I feel, I put the details in because I knew that people would like the details, yeah. but they're sad details. So, so we're be, just going to get prepared. Breeze kids. on through them. Okay. okay. So then Tex is like, I want all your money. Give it to me. And because there, I guess, wasn't any like laying around, obviously. And yeah. mind there you, never is. Okay? Mind <laughs> you, this is like not a very, they don't, I don't think they looked very hard or mm-hmm. I don't think they acted very logically in this whole scenario because they are on drugs. I like at the time. Yeah. They're on speed and LSD. So they're not acting like logically oh themselves. So, I mean, this, this crime isn't good. It's not committed well. Not that, no. not that that's the goal, but no, but like, <laughs> just not. They good. didn't really look for the money. They were just like, I want your money. And it's like, tell me where it is. Yeah. So, you know, cutting at, off their ear and then expecting yeah. there to be money. <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to work. <laughs> so Abigail is like, well, I have money in the bedroom I'm staying in. So Susan leads her into the bedroom with her knife and she gets $70 out of her wallet. But that's all she has. And Tex gets really mad because he isn't 
fulfilling his duty of bringing money back to the family. And But he's yeah. also not really trying. But again, the drug thing and drug also drugs. their brains are very messed up. So bad. So Sharon's drugs. like, I can get you more if you give me time. Like, I just can't do it right now because you tied me up and you're trying to murder me. But like, if you give me time. Yeah, I, I can, can go get to you an money. ATM yeah. for the love of God. And then Tex gets frustrated because she think he thinks that she's just like bullshitting him and trying to like get out of the getting murdered thing which yeah. like i mean like, who doesn't try that you uh, know? yeah i mean it's <laughs> worth a try that's the ultimate goal in this sort of a situation yes is to not get murdered but so he thinks that she's just saying that so that he'll let her go and that okay. she's not being serious so he says i'm not kidding and sharon's like i know you just shot jay in the stomach i can sense that you are serious yes and she said it in that sarcastic <laughs> manner in order to don't be sarcastic when someone's trying to murder intense. you yeah. yeah see that would be my fatal flaw or I maybe feel you, like. maybe you do and it yeah. throws them off and you're like yeah i'm so terrified of you okay maybe try that no don't try that but like, no actually don't if it comes out that. just naturally if, if it's already happening maybe just like yeah. enhance it and be like aggressive back and it'll throw them off yeah be like yeah Come at me, bro, or something. <laughs> no, don't actually say that. That's a, so terrible. Throw a money clip. Yeah. <laughs> you want it? Go get it. <laughs> Street smart. <laughs> I love that special. So good. Okay. We're talking about the John Mulaney special mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yes. Okay. Watch so, all three of them. All of them. So then Sharon asks, what are you going to do with us? And Tex says, well, you're all going to die. Encouraging, Ugh, which is just, just not what you want to hear. That. Yeah, good I don't. That like gives me anxiety. I know. I honestly feel like Jay kind of got off good, just being shot in the stomach based on what's about to happen yes. to everyone else. Gosh, like I might be a little sassy to get out that way because yeah, right? what he's about to do is unpleasant, very unpleasant. So, Frykowski is trying to get loose, and so um, Tex tells Susan to kill him so susan starts stabbing frykowski but he's like bigger than her and even though he's like kind of tied up still Mm -hmm. she's like a small girl and he's able to like get her off yeah Yeah. and so tex shoots him twice and he's kind of like invincible and still alive for some reason and he's like crawling out onto the front lawn so then tex tackles him on the lawn and starts stabbing him and stabbing him until he stops moving completely, which is a lot of stabs because, like, one stab's not going to just instantly kill, kill you. you. So, like, that's a lot of stabs. I don't mm-hmm. know the number. I could figure it out, but I don't I don't want to know it. Yeah, it would have to be <laughs> probably, would... like, 50 or more. Oh, God. Yeah, because you would have to reasonably stop the flow of blood to your brain and to your organs. It would take a minute. It would be a long time. But he was shot twice, so maybe it was, like, a little bit less, but... It would be easier if he'd, like... This is gross, but if he had slit his throat, because he would have bled out I mean, could we be a little more efficient? Yeah. My Please. throat started to hurt. Mind it. <laughs> I already have a sore throat. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, Claire. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I'm just saying. The that, chair that was made my the chair. <laughs> It's been making sounds all night, and I'm like, I really hope this doesn't come up in the recording because it does kind of sound a little fartish it's not it's like i can do oh, now it. it's not doing it of course well <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's 
sounds it like floorboards creaking in a yeah. scary movie. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll hear like a small creak that you probably can't hear and it freaks me out. <laughs> I've been jolted a few times while we're talking about this. Oh, my God. Okay. Continue. Okay. So, um, by this time, like, Frykowski's out on the front lawn getting stabbed and Linda who, if you remember, is, like, the newer member of the family who was keeping watch, she starts, like, moving closer to the scene because she's like, what's going on? Like, what are y'all doing? And right. she, like, sees what's happening, and she sa- tells Susan to stop, and Susan says, there's nothing I can do. So totally uh, just... She's just a machine totally, at that point. Yeah. yeah. So Linda goes and like hides in the car because she's just freaked out a little bit. Of course. Poor thing. Yeah, I completely agree with you with the whole like, I don't understand why he would have made her go because she's a new recruit and obviously not completely brainwashed. Well, she seems to be like brainwashed enough for a new person to be like, like, okay enough with what's happening to not like run away or tell somebody. So maybe he was like. Oh, she seems to be pretty devoted. Like, let's test her out, test or her out, yeah. maybe this will <gasps> weird hazing. And he's, and if you remember, he's like a, beginning to kind of like lose control of the family. Like, people are going to jail, and, mm-hmm. like, and his best members are going to jail. Yeah, and yeah. so he might have been like, we need to like ramp up the process. <laughs> like, yeah. let's just go send her to a murder. That'll get her. This will be good. That'll, this will be a tell sign. Yeah, if she's devoted or yeah. not. So by this time, Abigail had broken free. And so Patricia ran after her and started stabbing her a lot. And then she, like, stopped because she thought she killed her. And Tex wasn't sure if she killed her. So she Tex goes and stands over Abigail. And Abigail says, I give up. You got me. And then he stabbed her until she died. God. So meanwhile, Tex had told Patricia to go kill anyone in the guest house. This is another sign to me that the girls were, like, I think Susan was, like, the most into it of the three. But this is something that Patricia does that demonstrates, like, she knew it was wrong, I think, but that she was doing it for her devotion to Manson. So he tells her to go to the guest house and kill anyone inside. She walks out to the guest house, but she, like, doesn't go in and she just tells Tex that no one's in there and we know someone's in there because mm-hmm. if we remember the guy that they killed out in the driveway was visiting was with, visiting a friend yeah. in there mm-hmm. um so we know that she was Lying. like dishonest about that because she didn't want to go in there by herself and kill kill somebody, kill somebody yeah. so that at least shows like an ounce of humanity so they all return to the main room where Sharon is the only one alive and she asks them, she's like pleading for her life. And she says, like, just kill me, but don't kill my baby. Like, let me come with you and I'll have my baby and then you can kill me. And Ugh. Susan thinks about it for a second because she thinks like Manson, like Charlie might like that idea. You know, like he might like mm-hmm. having the baby of this woman who Hollywood's going to miss and everyone's going to be so upset about. Like he, mm-hmm. he might be into that. But. Then she remembers that it wasn't a part of the plan and that she was told to do whatever Tex told her to do. And that wasn't what Tex told her to do. And so she, you know, retreats from that kind of thought. Regardless of whether she thought he would have liked it or not, she has to do what he said. Right. Because she's brainwashed. brainwashed. <laughs> How many times can we say it? <laughs> um, so 
Sharon's like pleading and pleading and pleading and, you know, talking and talking at her and just trying to like talk her way out of the situation. And Susan is getting like annoyed with her and thinks like she's not even hearing what she's saying at this point. She's just like, nothing you're saying is meaningful to me. I have zero sympathy for you. Um, probably based on the same ideas that Manson had about affluent people. And so she just starts stabbing her directly in her stomach. Okay, okay. Mm. Moving on, moving on, moving on, moving oh on. Oh my god, that's moving so on. horrible. We don't need let's not it, think that's about like it. Red wedding style. Nope. Moving on. From the game of the rooms. Okay. Instantly moving on. Okay. Oh my so god. So Tex took the seventy dollars that Abigail uh. got out of her wallet and Susan wrote pig on the front of the door with blood. Again, attempting to link it to the Gary Hinman murder and perhaps the they're just trying to connect it and it's not working. Yeah, but of course they not. Do it anyways. So Susan said that after this night she felt elated, tired, but at peace with herself. So when they get back to Spawn Ranch, they'd only been gone for like a couple hours, and Manson was confused because he had told them to you know, murder an entire house full of people and mm-hmm. take all their money. And then if they don't have money, I don't remember if I said this, but he was like, if they don't have money, just go door to door and do the same thing until you get money. Mm-hmm. But obviously he thought there'd be a pretty good chance that they would have money. But the drugged up murder group kind of forgot to go around. get money. Yeah. So um, he's mad because they didn't get very much money. And I'd be kind of pissed if I were one of those girls who just murdered for him and he was, like, mad at me. Like, I just started this stupid race war for you. You're welcome. I began Helter Skelter. Yeah. Which is apparently real. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, that's another sign of, like, my my opinion of, like, was it was Helder Skelter even a thing in his head or was he just, like, using this as a way to control his little minions, you know? Mm -hmm. So... He goes to Cielo Drive himself, and this is a, a common misconception that Manson never stu- um, stepped foot in the Cielo Drive house or in the um, La Bianca house. He actually goes into both houses. He just doesn't actually commit the murders. Right. So he goes in and kind of, like, spruces up the crime scene to make it more horrific, as if it's not already the most horrific thing you've ever seen, and that's what he does there. So Does the- he write Helter Skelter on the wall, or did they? No, they didn't write Helter Skelter on the wall here. Okay, 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 yeah. So the next morning, Sharon's maid arrives for work, and she sees all the bodies. And oh, God, I can only imagine what that was like for that poor I woman. Know. I don't know if she saw all the bodies, but she, I mean, there's one on the lawn, there's one in that car. It's like a she saw enough. in there, yeah. And she calls the police, and this is actually the opening scene to Helter Skelter, the book. And the police arrive about an hour later. I'm not sure why it took so long. Probably L.A. traffic. But honestly, though, they find William Gerritsen in the guest house and they cannot believe that he was sleeping in the guest house while all these people got murdered. And so they definitely think he did it. And they actually bring him in on five counts of murder, which makes sense. I mean, it's it a honestly reasonable makes sense. People assumption. are hard sleepers, though. Yes, that's true. So the murders are all over the news, but nobody is connecting the Hinman murder to the Tate murders. And no one's connecting the Black Panther paw to the, like, writing at the Tate house. No one's making the race, <laughs> the race wars not ensuing. Yeah, nothing's happening. And Manson's like, well, what, my plan's not working. Why? And he's like, well, I guess we have to go out again tonight. 
goodness. So this time they go to Leno and Rosemary LaBianca's house. So tonight, on this night, on August 9th, Manson was accompanied by Tex, Susan and Patricia from the night before, and they leave Linda back. They are, and they bring some new family members, Lisa Van Houten, Steve Grogan, and another Linda. Nope, same Linda. Linda Kasabian. Linda comes. Sorry, forgot. (laughs) Um, Poor Linda. She's like, I just joined this group, and I have a lot of responsibilities. So much. Wow. So, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) That was the chair. (laughs) Okay. So, the LaBiancas live on the same street as a party that the Manson family had gone to a while back. And the party was like a really nice party. So Manson assumed that anyone who lived on the street would also be rich. Right. And these assumptions are so terrible. They are. And like, he's honestly so like poor that he doesn't really, he's not really able to discern between like middle class and like actual wealth. Yeah. So, um, it's not like they were like the wealthiest people in the world, but they were the husband owned like a he was like a supermarket executive. So they definitely had money. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, well, we'll just park at the house we went to the party at and we'll go to the house next door to helter skelter it up. So <laughs> so they woke up the couple. And so, OK, so Manson goes in with Tex. They wake up the couple and ask for all their money. And Manson takes Rosemary's wallet and then he goes back to the car and he sends the other family members in. Um, Well, he sends in Susan and Patricia. So mm, that's not right. Sorry. He sends a couple people in, (laughs) not all of them. So the couple is now like tied up in the room. All Manson's involvement, like physical involvement in the LaBianca house is he walks in ties them up, and takes Rosemary's wallet. That's all Mm -hmm. he actually physically does there. So Tex beats Leno to death. Just going to say it. Just does that right away. And then Patricia and Leslie, those are the two people that are taken. Okay, Okay, those are the only two girls that are sent in. Um, Take Rosemary into the other room and stab her a lot. And then a text carves the word war into Leno's stomach. And then these are just uh, not interesting facts. I'm sorry. And then Tex made. Um, OK, so Leslie hadn't actually physically done anything yet. And oh, I forgot to tell this part. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. Before they go in, Leslie or Manson told Tex, make sure everybody does something. OK. Like contributes to the crime, probably because. By committing violent acts, build your sense of loyalty towards people. Mm -hmm. So he's like, make sure they all get in on that. So Leslie hadn't done anything yet. So he makes her mutilate Rosemary's body. So she just kind of stabs her a bunch of times. But luckily, Rosemary was like dead. Mm -hmm. So whatever. Okay. So then it's just additional (laughs) brutalization. Yeah. The facts are like kind of interesting, but then they just keep going and going yeah, and, and it's going. Just, like, gets like it's just a lot of stabbing. Worse. Yeah. So then they write on the wall in blood again to connect the crimes, which they're unsuccessfully doing. Mm-hmm. But at this house, they write "rise, death to pigs, and helter skelter," but they spell helter skelter wrong. So 
Remember that we have Steve Grogan and Linda Kasabian still in the car. Manson did not send those two in. Mm -hmm. So Manson drove Linda to a racially diverse neighborhood and told her to take the cash out of Rosemary's wallet and dump it so that the police would think that somebody in this neighborhood was connected to the Rose to the LaBianca murders. Not a good idea. That's just not very compelling. No. And then he asked if Steve or Linda knew anyone in the area. And Linda remembers that she met this guy hitchhiking who she thought was an actor who lived in the area. And he was like, great. So he gives them each a knife and the gun for good measure and told them to knock on the guy's door. And then when he opened to kill him. So at this point, I think he caught on to the idea that by sending people out to commit murder was making them more feel more loyal and more connected to him. And he was just taking advantage of it and making everyone do it. So he drops them off and trusts his children to do what they're told. But when he drops them off, Linda pretends not to remember where the guy's house is. And they just kind of give up on it and hitchhike back to the ranch. And nothing's really said about it. I think that everyone was like, mm, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, mm-hmm. darn, you can't remember? That, like, that's oh, a no. bummer. So a few days later, the guy from the guest house, who they thought murdered the entire Tate household, yeah. is released after he passed a polygraph and nothing else really surfaced that connected him to the crimes. And they're like, okay, sorry. You were just, har- <laughs> like, you're a hard sleeper. Goodbye. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to breeze right through the investigation because it's not interesting, honestly, and go a little bit. Not, I'm not really going to in going. Oh, my gosh. I'm not really <laughs> going to go into the trial. I just want to tell you the outcome of it because I really just wanted to talk about the Manson family and yes. their crazy murders. And the the trial is interesting in the way that the Ted Bundy trial is interesting and that mm-hmm. like it gets old quick. Yes. It's a lot of antics. It's a lot of showmanship it's it's a lot of stuff that's not actually interesting it's just like bizarre for the sake of being bizarre almost like Mm -hmm. you almost start to lose respect not that you had respect for them but like whatever ounce of like this is a human being you had for them you totally lose yeah yeah so the police in the various counties didn't really work together to connect the crimes and literally no one thought it was a black person Surprisingly, honestly, like, I mean, not even racism led them to this. Yeah. So a lot of people think that, especially with the Tate crime, that if a black person was driving through Bel Air at midnight, that someone would have called the cops. So they're probably right about that assumption. Yeah. And that assumption could honestly go for like the LaBianca murders, too. So really their idea of blaming murders of affluent people on black people wasn't a very well thought through plan because any of the areas in, or the settings of these murders are going to be places in which black people would have been very noticeable at the time and would have people probably would have called the cops on them for just existing in that area. Mm-hmm. And it, it people would have at least seen them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. So not very smart. So literally no one's making these connections. Mm-mm. The crimes aren't even being connected to each other. A race war is not happening. N- nothing's happening. And meanwhile, at the ranch, um, Tex 
gets the idea, probably because his brain cells are all gone, that the FBI is watching him and that Spawn Ranch isn't a safe place for them anymore. So they move to a place called Barker Ranch in Death Valley. And this is where the Manson family would live for quite a while. Um, So Spawn Ranch isn't really a thing anymore, but I think that you can visit Barker Ranch. Um, not I don't know if you would want to, but yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I would maybe <laughs> <laughs> not purposefully going all the way out there. But I mean, like, why else would you be out there? Okay. Yeah, I have no idea. So basically what the investigation is, is the family keeps committing like small crimes and just putting their forensic evidence everywhere, everywhere and giving the police every reason to look into them so Mm -hmm. they were actually able to raid both spawn ranch and barker ranch and long story short just connected all of these pieces together got some forensic evidence placed everyone at the crime scenes and then as people tend to do they started talking and bragging and it's just not an interesting investigation so i'm not gonna talk about it yeah read helter skelter (laughs) So our friend Linda, the one Linda. the one who we feel bad for, yes, finally comes to her senses and turns on the Manson family and testifies against them and she would be the prosecution's key witness and she actually has an interesting connection to the writer Joan Didion. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Joan Didion has a collection of writings called The White Album, and it's kind of about this whole scenario unfolding. And she writes about Linda Kasabian and has a sort of connection to her. She, like, buys her a dress to wear at the trial. It's really weird. Hmm. Um, Maybe she's just trying to be helpful or something. Or maybe she's trying to capitalize on an awful thing. Probably. But I don't know. Joan Didion is such a good writer that I don't want to think that she's a mean person, so... Who knows? Maybe she was using it as an opportunity to allow her writing to progress. Maybe. She was like, I need to be a little more. Yeah, I need to be assertive. Yes. Or like, I need something bad to happen so I can write about it. Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm going to take the opportunity and connect with this person. Yes. (laughs) So, like I said this whole time, and like you could, you probably already knew if you know anything about Manson, he wasn't physically present when any of the crimes were taking place. But the prosecution was able to prove that he had so much control over the family that he was ultimately responsible for all of the murders and that he sort of weaponized the family. And one thing that I totally don't understand about this is if their theory is that he weaponized them and that they're merely weapons, I don't really get why they are held as responsible because you kind of have to admit that they were brainwashed and that they were manipulated Mm -hmm. and that... That they were totally taken advantage of to prove that they were weapons. Yeah, exactly. Because then, because like a weapon is something without feeling or emotion or something and is completely manipulated by the wielder. Yeah. So it would insinuate that they were not mentally there and therefore couldn't be tried as actual. Yeah. Not really like not people, but like legitimate I don't know how am I how am I want to phrase this like they couldn't possibly have been legitimate perpetrators of this crime right yeah does that make sense yeah 
Okay. Yeah, exactly. And like one thing you kind of learn in like all intro-level legal classes is mens rea and actus rea and mens rea being the mental capacity to like know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they had that. Oh, they absolutely did not. And in addition to that, they were also on drugs the entire right. time. Not that that's like an excuse, but... No, but like those drugs were consumed because they were in an environment that said that the consumption of drugs would lead to this ultimate enlightenment. Not that that is a that's a bad thing, but like they were using that and therefore mentally incapacitated and could have... The argument could be made that the reason that they even took the drugs... Is because of the that environment they were, that they were to, in. Sort of. Yeah, they were brainwashed to think that taking drugs would help them. Yeah. Um. So it could be an involuntary consumption of them. Right. And so the prosecution's case almost provides sympathy for the Manson family, but the reason that none of the Manson girls nor Tex were able to use any of this sympathy to benefit them is because. They they were still brainwashed. Yeah. During the trial. Like Claire said, there's videos of them holding hands and singing and being just like just not being great. super weird when they were asked questions like, what do you think about the testimony? I didn't think anything about the testimony. I thought that she was really pretty, like just being super weird or like. Yeah, like just off base. Yeah. And like when Manson was asked, like, what do you think about Linda Kasabian testifying against you? He was like. That's her choice. She can do whatever she wants to do. Just being like so weird and dodging questions. Oh, I hate that. I know. It's like a bad interview. You're like trying to get information out of people for an article and they're just like, yes. Like, yes. No. I I didn't think anything about it. I do think that. It's (laughs) like, okay, I need you to elaborate. Why? (laughs) Yeah. So they were definitely not open to even having the help of anybody that would provide that defense for them. So, I mean, for a a decent portion of the trial, Manson was representing himself before the judge was like, no, that's, uh, this is irresponsible. Yeah. And then he actually was able to get that judge taken off the case for exhibiting prejudice towards him by saying that he was too, he was incapable of, of uh, representing himself. Mm-hmm. And it was just, there's like a lot of stuff that's very similar to the Bundy trial where it's just like, it's interesting for a second, but it's also just like, oh, my God. Like, like chill. stop. <laughs> like, I, you're making, I felt bad for you, and now I, you're annoying me. Don't feel bad for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, it was super bizarre, and it lasted for over 100 days, and they obviously were all found guilty of murder and all sentenced to death, but... If you um, if you know the constitutional history of the death penalty, it was actually unconstitutional for a couple years in the 70s mm-hmm. um, before it, that decision was overturned and it was constitutional again, which it is today and federally. And so when they it was over, when it was unconstitutional, all of their sentences were commuted to just life in prison. Mm-hmm. So. And then they, like, never changed it back when the death penalty became constitutional again. So right. they're all serving life in prison. Manson is the only one who's dead that I'm aware of. Um, mm-hmm. He died, like, two years ago. And all the other ones go to parole hearings all the time trying to get out. And some of them are, like, still a little weird. And some of them are, like, I'm not the person I was before. And, like, that, like I, I was 19 
and I mm-hmm. was like re- rebellious yeah. and I fell into this cult and I'm sorry and like let let me at least live a couple years of my life and I don't know I would let them out but um <laughs> yeah I mean I would let the ones that have like I don't know I would do like a full psychiatric evaluation to make sure that they are okay yeah not necessarily to like make sure they're not going to kill anybody just to like make sure that they are mentally prepared to re-enter society that's a long time that's like yeah their, basically their entire adult life in it's, prison it's difficult for people who've been in prison for a year to mm-hmm. fully like assimilate back into society of course and these people have to assimilate not only after having been prison in prison for such a long time but also having lived on the ranch with manson for like the years before yeah. going into prison. So they have to assimilate to a culture that they left in the 70s when they were teenagers. Yeah, like it might not so be like, a responsible decision to just like throw them out into society, but maybe, but I think like some sort of rehabilitation process. Yeah, maybe the rest of their sentence could be served in like a you know, low security yeah. psychiatric hospital or something like that. Yeah, but, so they can like go outside more often or something. Yeah, but every time they have a parole hearing, all the family of all the murder victims come and talk and are like, like, like Sharon Tate's sister is pretty vocal about, um, like these people just because they're like old elderly people now doesn't mean that they're not dangerous. And it's yeah. like, but it might, like, if you... Yeah. But I see what she's saying. I mean, her sister was brutally murdered for literally no her reason. Her sister and her niece. Yeah. Her niece or nephew. Yeah, and that's awful, and I wouldn't probably ever get over that either. But Me neither. That's so rough. I understand where she's coming from, but she's still... Like, when you see videos of her, like, every time there's a parole hearing, she's there being super, super vocal, vocal and just, like, almost, like, borderline, like, hateful in a way but it comes mm-hmm. out really aggressive particular at least when I watch it like she always sticks out to me because she's like just because they're old doesn't mean that they're not the same people and it's just like a little bit I don't know it's, close-minded but at the yeah. same time you're probably allowed to be close-minded about the people who murdered your sister so that's fair yeah especially when the murder of your sister has basically been turned into like a media circus and like movies and all this stuff and it's just really really horrible and I mean that's happened to a lot of families who have had victims of terrible murders, but this one is just like, it's like everyone knows about Manson. To, yeah, it's crazy. And it's the cult aspect that's like interesting about it. Like, I'm sorry. But, and, and people but, are still, I mean, well, and not anymore because he's dead, but people were still writing letters to him till the day he died. He married yeah. someone in prison and mm-hmm. pe- he got like, on average, I think it was like 60,000 letters a year from people who were supporting him still, which, I mean, as much as I can, like, sympathize with how he was, like, feeling and how Mm -hmm. the cult actually became a cult and how the family grew to be as strong as they were, he murdered people. Yeah. Like, people who did nothing, not that murdering is ever okay, but people who were innocent and all they did was exhibit a lifestyle that he felt was threatening to his lifestyle and... That's the exact opposite of what he was preaching, essentially, mm-hmm. to his family. It's the exact opposite of acceptance and of love. And yeah, it's interesting to talk about. But it's I mean, even just I mean, you and me love a gory detail as much as the oh, next yeah, person. But course. even even reading through just all the details of the murders, it almost became tedious just a second mm-hmm. ago of like, OK, yeah. and so he's going to stab her again. And then again, and, and then, then it's again. just, yeah, it's awful. And I can't even, I can't even talk about what happened to Sharon Tate 
like the actual thing that happened to her because it bothers me so much. Like, yeah, it's pretty horrible to think. I mean, just thinking about someone getting stabbed is unsettling, but thinking about someone's pregnant belly being stabbed is literally mm-hmm. like mind blowingly awful. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just, it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I don't even know what else to add to that. You're it's totally, just interesting, yeah. but it's just I would love to close out our last episode by talking about whether we think Manson's bullshit <laughs> or totally, totally genuine. Legit. And I think you could probably guess my opinion because I've said, said it, it throughout, yeah. but I think there is a small possibility that he is totally genuine mm-hmm. in his craziness uh-huh. and that he's got you know, his life circumstances mixed with mental illness, mixed with being a cult leader and mm-hmm. all that comes from that position mixed with fame. And that has totally created the monster that he was. Yep. But I think the more likely possibility is that he totally manipulated the family to his benefit. Because if you think about who he murdered, he was saying, I don't know why race even had to be a thing. I feel like he could have just made it like an affluent people thing, but maybe the Absolutely. race, maybe that was too obvious to the family and he made the race war thing to, as an excuse to kill affluent people. But I, it's it's almost like he had to prophesize something. Yeah, because so it, it would have been very like, obvious if yeah, he was like, like, we just have to go kill all these people who turned people. me down. Yeah, it's like, well, they didn't let me do my dream stuff, so we're going to kill him. That would it's be like, like a little on the nose. It's so, too personal. Yeah. So the race war, I think, was just a way to like distract the family and control them and say, like, my end goal is to kill people who turned me down and people who are against me and people who have what I want but I'm going Mm -hmm. to make it this like race war thing and I'm going to say that the Beatles spoke to me because who doesn't want to be spoken to by the Beatles? Beatles. I want to be spoken to by the Beatles. feel special. Like that would speak to them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they loved the Beatles and you know he's already got them under their control enough to where they're like believing ideas that are a little outlandish even for Someone, you know, like, yeah, who's really into weird, weird stuff. And he just capitalized on that and was like, well, here's a really bizarre idea. The Beatles spoke to me through their music. Boom. And that just doing the Pink Floyd backwards or whatever. What is that? It's Zeppelin 4 backwards. Zeppelin 4. Okay. (laughs) The devil speaks to you. Yeah. Um, Well, it's Stairway to Heaven specifically. Yes. But that's on Zeppelin 4. Anyways, um, <laughs> sorry, that's totally irrelevant. When music speaks to you, you listen. <laughs> yeah, if you play Stairway to Heaven backwards on a record, the devil will say some stuff to you, apparently. What, is it he, what does he say? I don't know. I've never done it. I'm not going to ruin a record to see what the devil's possibly saying. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I was like, my brother has Zeppelin Four on a record, and we have a record player in my basement. I'll just go and do it. And I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> your brother I, would kill you. He would totally kill me. That and then we would be covering your murder on yeah, the podcast. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> but we could go get like a cheap one from like Bizarre Bazaar or something. Oh, that's true. We yeah. Could, we should do that. It'd be funny. Yeah. He has an expensive one. That I almost feel like, like that nice would ruin one. your record player too. Yeah. It's like You'd the have to needle get a new needle. Break. <laughs> Can someone just do it for us? <laughs> <laughs> we could probably YouTube it. It's probably on Honestly, YouTube. I don't want to. Though. Okay, I kind of like the mystery of not knowing. Yeah, me too. I don't need the devil to talk to me. He can just like stay over there in the corner and shut the fuck up, I think, <laughs> is what he We change can our do. opinions about Satan so much. I know. It's like- We're pretending to like him. It's yes, a funny thing we do. It's funny. I, we don't like Satan. No. We just think it's funny <laughs> to act like we do. It's funny to semi-insult people. It is. 
but As, especially people who constantly are mean to everybody else. Yes. <laughs> so like, screw you. <laughs> After we just <laughs> talked about being more accepting yeah, and right. loving. Okay, but anyways, give me your thoughts on, do you think Manson is just a little crazy or do you think he is an evil genius who knows exactly what he's doing? I don't think he's an evil genius. And okay. I think that's due to the lack of any sort of organization in any of this. But I do think that he... Unless he did that on purpose, too. Right, right. The chaos could also be a level of his master plan. Um, but I think he, I think he did have a level of mental illness that obviously led him to start the cult in the first place. And then we kind of see, like, the Jonestown thing where he, like, catapults into this leader position and he's, like, popular and people love him and they'll do whatever he wants. But I think that once he recognized, and I think he did recognize it, he recognized that his power existed in this position and over just these people that he could use that situation to manipulate those around him and reenact his revenge on these people who didn't accept him and uh he basically created a little army for himself and um i think that you're right in assuming that he basically made up the race war to have some sort of reason to do the revenge thing um and the reason i think that it was kind of like a spur of the moment like oh i have all these people and it was a little mental illnessy. Sorry, that sounds really gross, but like you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, it is because of the disorganization of all of it. Because if it had been like this complete genius plan that he concocted, I feel like there would have been a level of actual racial integration into these crimes. Like somebody would have connected them back to the black community in some way. Like they just, it would have been more poignant. But he didn't make it that way. It was so messy. And um, because of the manipulation, obviously his followers didn't see But maybe he didn't. That, and, but. I mean, if he's just killing, if it's just a cover to kill affluent people, then he doesn't need it to yeah. actually connect back to black people. True, true, true. It could be messy. It can be really gross. Um, Honestly, I feel like the, like, going on the assumption that he made up Helter Skelter, that's kind of a gamble because the people mm -hmm. in his group were pretty open-minded people. I think it was interesting. Like, one of the first things that you told me that he would manipulate their trips. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that would just be a totally weird-ass experience. And he may have, like, sort he of may have planted that too. some weird racist tendencies. He could have, yeah. In the minds of these people. Yeah, there were definitely like, a lot of supremacy ideals that Manson had that mm -hmm. he was, like, super subtle about in the beginning. Right. That came out. And Later. it came out in a way that it was, like, maybe the, like, the race war totally could have been made up. Mm hmm But it might have been intentional. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, he totally could have been oh, an epic and racist. the other thought I wanted to put in that is another just, like, complexity to the story that's always made me nervous to do it is, mm -hmm. like, I don't want anyone to think that we're saying racism is a mental illness because it's no. not. Racism is a an idea construct. that you are choosing to have that's really, yes. really offensive. Mm -hmm. um, we're saying that perhaps his racism was enhanced by his mental illness. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's good to clarify. Yeah, good yes. to clarify. Yes, I agree. Yeah, because no, uh, racism is not <laughs> mental illness at all. Well, I wouldn't some want someone to think that we're saying he's mentally ill and that like his mm -hmm. offensive opinions are part of that. No, no, no. They're separate. Mm -hmm. But like definitely the 
<laughs> the action of saying that a race war is about to happen, unless he made that up, that's a mental illness thing. Yeah. Yeah, the making up of the race war is mental illness. The race war itself is the racist idea. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's good to clarify. Um, but yeah, I think it's a weird cocktail of a lot of that. Me too. And I really like the leadership thing has to have something to do with it. Like It does, for I sure. I mean, you are in control of all of these people and they will do whatever they, whatever you ask of them. That has to be a crazy amount of power to have. I mm-hmm. mean, I've never, I mean, I've led a group of people before, but. I mean, that alone can give you. A power a, trip. You know, a warm fuzzy of like, I'm in charge of all these people. That's like, oh my God. I, and it did. I mean, when I was working at the newspaper, it felt so cool to have like these little mentorees that were running around being like, how do you, like, where, where do I put this comma? Or yeah. what do I do for the HTML it stuff? It makes you and feel I'm like, important, for I sure. I know this. And, um, yeah, it does. It makes you feel important and wanted and needed. And, like, you're, you're essential to a team. And uh, I'm sure that that just felt, like, 20 times more um, like that for, for Manson when he was leading all those people. Yeah, and you, you know, mix in a little... Kool-Aid. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe it's the time to say goodbye. No. We have to go away because we have to go to law school to learn about the stuff we've been pretending to know about for about a year. Yep. And apologize for any of the sorry incorrect things but we had the best time so much fun I am so glad you agreed to do this with me I'm so glad I agreed to do it with you I feel like it was just so much fun I've done so Mm -hmm. many things in college and this is definitely one of the highlights for me oh my god same I'm glad that I got to do all of this this was awesome it's like so rewarding I know this product is so cool though everybody loves it like Saying that I have a true crime podcast. I know. It's fun to say. And honestly, like, I know that we don't have that many listeners. Mm -mm. And then it's mostly my mom. But no. But thank you for those who did listen. We appreciate you. And again, I think we've said this so many times. We would be doing it if no one listened. It's just so much fun to research a topic that we're super fascinated by Mm -hmm. and to have open and honest conversations where there's no judgment and there's nobody being like, why are you into that? That's weird. And (laughs) we can just talk about it and laugh about it and be uncomfortable and talk about the ramifications and then feel bad about laughing about it. And then it all (laughs) starts over. And share that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an open conversation and I love it. And I'm sad that it's ending, but Mm -hmm. to be honest, this this conversation's not ending. It's just Mm-mm. that we're not going to be recording it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we'll still be talking about murder forever. Yeah, forever. So you guys keep talking about murder too. Yes. And, you know, make it okay to talk about terrible things so that we can stop doing terrible things. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.